the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Tuesday, July 25th, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 259. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree that will take you to the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and Truth Social. Welcome, everybody. Big Tuesday edition of the show. I'm Ro. Noah's here. Yo. We've got a lot of breaking news. Joe Biden investigation starting to heat up on Capitol Hill. We'll jump into that. The Trump indictment still hasn't come down, but we'll bring you the latest. And we'll play a little GOP primary roundup. We've got a great slate of guests coming in today as well. Former chief of staff to the DOD, Cash Patel, will be joining us. William Wolf, former senior official within the Trump administration, will be sitting down with us for the first time. And we'll talk to Newsweek senior editor-at-large, Josh Hammer. But before we get into any of our interviews, let's jump right into the headlines and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not NOM. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! America! All right, welcome everybody. If it's your first time listening to the show, welcome. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back. This is America's fastest-growing political podcast, of course, at Steak for Breakfast. I'm Ro, Noah's here. Yo! Antoinette will be joining us in just a bit. Guys, we're going to kick off kind of a slowish news weekend. It seemed to like have cranked up Sunday going into Monday with yesterday, the news kind of building into the week. I know that uh, Congress is going into summer recess starting on Friday afternoon, so they're probably going to try to shove as much stuff in there before they have their month off as uh, they can over the course of the next couple of days. But, you know, the, one of the things we need to start off the show just by talking about is how the investigation into the Joe Biden crime family is really starting to ramp up now. Uh, we've had, of course, some developments over the last 24 hours that we're going to be talking about with you now. Former Chief of Staff to the DOD, Special Assistant to President Trump, Cash Patel is coming in, end of this segment to talk about it. We're also going to be talking about the Trump indictment update. It doesn't look like that he's being summoned to Washington, D.C. today, but we'll continue to track it throughout the course of the show. William Wolf, former senior official in the Trump administration, will be joining us for the first time to discuss that. And then we'll do a little GOP primary roundup, best of the weekend from some of the top candidates in, in the Republican side. And uh, Newsweek senior editor. Josh Hammer will be here to discuss that with us. So looking forward to a great episode here today, getting the week kicked off on Steak for Breakfast. All right, I want to touch on, you know, th- there's been some mumblings within the Republican caucuses. Cockeye? <laughs> that they might finally begin looking into impeachment proceedings for Joe Biden, but we're not going to get too far ahead of ourselves. We do have to kind of unpack this a little bit more the developments over the course of the last couple hours also a couple hot hot takes from some casual drinkers throughout the course of the weekend i think you know where i'm going with this Mm. she paints on the best eyebrows but let's get it started with cnn kind of coping and seething and coming if it's a casual drinker it's more of a professional i just say open biden Coping and seething over, uh, you know, some of the news that's coming out here, especially when it looks like we're going to have some of Hunter Biden's former besties come in and testify on the Hill next week. Let's hear it. A legal question. It's a right. political question. But what did you make hearing Kevin McCarthy? Well, this, this is the power of the majority. This is why elections matter. If you control Congress, you can open an impeachment inquiry. Speaking of 
there not being a smoking gun. In any case, I've still not seen a smoking gun on this case. I think there are legitimate questions about where Hunter Biden was getting his money from. Clearly, he was only getting his money because his last name was Biden. But what's been missing is that definitive link to the president, to the to the his father. And, you know, I think it's an interesting political question. You both are the political experts. But how does that play to open an impeachment inquiry and potentially impeach this? Not a so there you go. CNN is basically pointing out saying, OK, we know Hunter Biden got his money. We know he evaded paying taxes on it. We're even going to tell you that maybe the big guy got 10 percent. He definitely knew what was going on, but prove it. That's kind of the stance. That's that's where they're digging their trenches right now in uh, on some of the more progressive news networks. You know, it's going to be uh, if Jamie Comer and Jim Jordan and Kevin McCarthy are going to make these allegations, you better prove it. Even though throughout the course of the entire Trump administration, Donald Trump was impeached twice for made-up stories and hearsay. He was also the subject of a special counsel for just as such as well. So, Noah, I know you've been tracking this with us from the beginning. I know you're our uh, Hunter Biden... Don't say Skittles. <laughs> no. Money laundering expert on this. Mm. Now, when you talk about some of the stuff... Uh, you know, we had Will Upton on the show last week, and he talked about you know how all this money has gone into the Biden family bank accounts, up to nine members of the family, no taxes. Shell corporations. Everything's fine. Yeah. Fake LLCs. Yeah. Lots of wire transfers. Well, everybody likes a good LLC. That's how we wash it. <laughs> Was it funny to hear CNN say, you know, the only reason Hunter Biden made any of this money, obviously, because his, his, his last name is Biden. <laughs> oh, they said that? Yeah. They didn't say it was his fucking business prowess? Well, come on. <laughs> We all can't be foreign energy experts. His glassware cleaning skills. Mm. That's not the only thing he cleans. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's that's just another indication that they're hanging this family out to dry. Because they don't really want him or his father to be in the limelight anymore. They just kind of want him to quietly go away, shuffle off, as it were. You know, it's really funny. I see a lot of these commentators who you know have a little bit more of a reach than us and sometimes they get scared to take a leap where we don't have any accountability on this show yeah obviously i'm still waiting for the first time ever to get fact checked because we pretty much ask before we say anything that's controversial mm -hmm. but over the course of the last couple of days um you know some of the commentators in our orbit have been spouting off well, i just think it's really it, it's it's really weird how people like Joe Biden and Ron DeSantis are just going to let lawfare play out before they outline any of their policy platforms, you know, in, in regards to the next election, because, uh, you know, Donald Trump, this, that I'm like, that's what we've been saying on the show for the last year. Mm -hmm. No one's going to put out anything that America first will either hate and, and reject. And, and Joe Biden's not going to get, I mean, they went out and through out of all the things Joe Biden could have campaigned on as, as like the pinnacle point of his reelection campaign, they decided the economy is definitely where he should live or die in, in regards to the general election here. And, you know, I just think it's funny how that it's kind of unfolded and uh, people are getting a little bit more brave to say the things that we all know is true and, and doesn't take too much to say. If you just ask the right people, which is what we always do here on the show. Byron Donalds sat down with uh, Emperor of Boomer Sweats, not Sean Hannity, Mark Levin not the great one, the whiny one, on Sunday and wanted to talk about Joe and Hunter Biden's business dealings. Let's hear him. What is pretty clear now 
is that Hunter Biden was the facilitator for Jim Biden and Joe Biden. He was the one that was pulling all this money in. Everybody in the Biden family is either getting direct payments or their living expenses and their luxuriation is being covered by Hunter Biden or by one of these companies. And the last piece of this is, is that the FBI knew about this. They, They were getting information from their confidential human source. IRS, the International uh, Tax Fraud Department, where Mr. Shapley and Mr. Ziegler work, they were investigating this. And somewhere in Maine justice, they were slow walking these investigations, stonewalling these investigations, letting the statute of limitations run out on these investigations. And in my in my mind, that is clearly obstruction of justice from. the. That's a big component that a lot of people don't talk about. The FBI, the DOJ, William Barr. Christopher Ray, all of these people, they were investigating the Hunter Biden laptop since the middle of 2019 when it came into their possession. They knew that there were crimes of the felonious level uh, all the way back then. And then when you just talk about the tax-related stuff in general, they knew this money was coming in. You know, there was the gift of the three-carat diamond, the $3.5 million gift from China. There was all the stuff going on with Burisma and how that whole thing went down. You know, I was watching old videos of Joe Biden not just talking about firing the special prosecutor who was investigating Burisma Holdings and all the shady stuff that was going on there. But do you know later that year, Noah, Joe Biden went to Ukraine and addressed their Congress and, and like, kind of just did, like, you know, and I'm paraphrasing here. Listen here, Jack. <laughs> I shouldn't have to come over here and tell you guys to fire special prosecutors or you're not going to get your billion dollars in aid. In retrospect, how much of a difference is that now compared to the quarter of a trillion dollars we've emptied into that uh, country? Yeah, well, they did fire the prosecutor. They did. And, and I mean, at the end of Joe Biden speaking to Congress in Ukraine, he basically just said, when it comes to covering shit up, do better. Just do better. Or we'll have another co-revolution and, and change leadership like we did in 2014. Perfect. You know, side note, I know we had Colonel McGregor on the show. Absolutely love him. It's so funny. As news is breaking this week of all of the Ukrainian springtime, summer, fourth, fifth offensives failing and Russia making huge advancements in the region, it just seems like he was right and a little bit ahead of the curve again here on Steak for Breakfast as he always was. But, you know, when you talk about the components of the deep state and the administrative state that helped facilitate and cover up these crimes, especially heading into the 2020 general election cycle, there was so much stuff going on distraction-wise with whether or not we were coming out of COVID and what Donald Trump was doing to get this country back on the right track. It seemed like the Trump team really couldn't get their hands around the narrative to be able to push what the actual receipts were. If they had a little bit more time, if the country wasn't in such a bad place, they probably would have been able to physically investigate this stuff and uh, bring a lot more of it to light. So I saw um, not too long ago, Robert Kennedy Jr. He was saying that, you know, this whole thing might be a waste of time, this, that, and the other thing. But now, as we're starting to see witnesses come forward Maybe we'll have the production of those audio tapes that we're looking for. And after the release of the 1023 that Chuck Grassley threw out to the American public last week is a mighty big bone. RFK was interviewed yesterday and asked about what his primary opponent's legal status should be. Let's hear it. Hmm. 
how, how poisonous. Well, corruption is corruption. Some. We don't want corruption in government. But, but you're right. And I think, though, the issues that are now coming up are worrying enough that we really need a real investigation of, of what happened. I mean, these, these revelations about the, you know, that where you have Burisma, um, which is a, you know, this notoriously corrupt company that paid out apparently $10 million to, uh, to, the, uh, to Hunter and his dad. If that's true, then it is really troubling. Um, so I, I think that that needs to be uh, that it needs to be investigated. Well, there's also an issue with the investigators, because if the DOJ is getting in front of any real investigation, then there's a problem with that as well. I mean, these federal agencies, in terms of what they pursue, they did it throughout the Trump uh, administration, you know, trying to take down Trump officials with FISA warrants. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's something that every American needs to worry about, that our federal agencies, which used to be above politics, and now become weaponized as political um, instruments. And that, again, is another really uh, damaging trend for our democracy. Robert. Hmm. I agree with him. Yeah. No, I think you're probably in agreement as well. You know, RFK Jr. isn't getting a fair shake on any platform, period. Well, no, because he's dangerous. The Democrats hit him 10 times harder when he went up to Capitol Hill to testify before the House Judiciary last week to talk about censorship. And uh, it was pretty embarrassing to see them literally eating their own in real time, calling him an anti-Semite, racist, conspiracy theorist, etc. And I keep thinking that they're going to just hang Joe Biden out to dry and stop supporting him. But they can't when it comes to RFK because he's actually... Joe Biden's dangerous to the country... RFK would be dangerous to the Democratic establishment. Yeah, and you're talking about one of the most recognizable political dynasties in the history of our country as well. Yeah. You can't just cancel this guy because he didn't like the way you distributed COVID vaccines. It's pretty funny how the Biden regime has gone after their political opponents. Not, And it's outside of the scope of Donald Trump as well. Obviously, we've seen the same thing with RFK Jr. Yesterday, Joe Biden announced as he took a quick question from the press that was covering a speaking event he was at. So the Biden DOJ is going to start an investigation into Elon Musk, not for any reason other than because he owns Twitter and people say negative stuff about the war in Ukraine. It warrants an official investigation from the DOJ. What if he doesn't own Twitter anymore? What if he owns X? True story. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. That's the gay shit ever. Yeah. So And copying WeChat is even gayer. Oh, scissor me timbers. Speaking of which. Mm-hmm. Crazy Nancy Ooh. graced CNN State of the Fake Union this weekend to give a little commentary on House Republicans looking to investigate and now moving towards impeachment proceedings against President Joe Biden. Let's hear her about three shots in. I want to ask about the economy. Inflation, it looks good yeah. uh, when you look at the numbers. Inflation is down uh -huh. to just 3%. The labor market is steadily adding jobs. Wages are up. Consumer sentiment is the highest since September of 2021. Yeah. So there's a lot for President Biden to tout. So the question is about why Americans don't seem to be giving him the credit. <laughs> a Quinnipiac poll this week found nearly 6 in 10 Americans still Eight disapprove mm. of his handling of the economy. Why is that? And what does he have to do to turn that around? 
Well, a lot of it's about messaging, of Hold course. On, kids. Uh, I'm so proud of this president. In the two years that we were in the majority working with him, he broke all records. Uh, on the level with a Lyndon Johnson or... Uh, Least the, taxes um, paid? Franklin Roosevelt in terms of the caliber of legislation that he passed into for the good of the people, mm. lowering prescription drugs, mm. uh, Trump era again, policy, cutting in half, as you indicate, cutting in half unemployment. So why isn't the American almost public fourteen credit for million it? jobs? It, it, it has to be messaged. It, it is a, a legitimate question. I ask myself all the time too. This president did such what a remarkable job. Mm-hmm. He is a person of such. Knowledge, such vision for the country, such knowledge of the issues, such strategic thinking and such a legislator. And on top of it all, a person who connects with the American people. He just has to get out there. It's a busy job Mm. being president. I can say that as being speaker. You're you're doing your work, but he's just going to have to make sure the American people know at that kitchen table what this means to them in terms of jobs and pay, reducing inflation, as you indicated, uh, uh, lowest in the whole universe. Mm. She would go on to say that House Republicans are uh, playing games and wasting the American public's time by even remotely thinking about investigating honest Joe Biden, not crooked Joe Biden. Oh, perfect. And then she ate the celery stalk out of her Bloody Mary. (laughs) (laughs) Antoinette, my dear, uh, you're a huge fan of Nancy Pelosi and and all all the legislation that she's been able to champion for women's rights over the course of her several decades in Congress. She's completely full of shit. And believe me, Joe Biden doesn't have a messaging problem. That motherfucker can't even get up the stairs on Air Force One anymore. He's going to get up the ramp. Going through the cargo hold at this point. Why? When we almost can feel that what we've said on this show for a long time is probably what's going to happen. Joe Biden's not going to make it to the general election, and it probably will be Gavin Newsom, who's kind of running a Ron DeSantis-like not-book tour across the country right now, even going into Republican stronghold states and, and you know, gauging public interest there. Why does she even waste her time with this, Why defending this man? I mean, yes, he was a legislative juggernaut, and that was at the you know, fault of Republicans throughout the first two years of his presidency, and especially in the Senate, uh, where they showed less than no spine to let Joe Biden pass all this bullshit. But, I mean, since Republicans have taken over, we've been able to see just how inept, inadequate, and and unprepared he ever was going to be for this job as an advanced age, and his mental decline was always going to be. What do you think? I mean... (laughs) What, about Nancy and what she's saying? I, just, I don't even know why she says anything. It's just ridiculous. Wouldn't it be just best to kind of deflect and maybe even segue yeah. towards other possible options or likelihoods or just even other candidates in the upcoming election cycle? Because what of part of Joe Biden is good to touch right now that's not absolutely poisonous when you do so? Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. I don't know why she's, she's fangirling so hard for Joe. I mean smart thing to do but we know you know to do what you said but i mean we all know she's kind of cuckoo and past her prime to say the least cuckoo cachoo <laughs> cuckoo next round is on her mm. so we've we're, we're, we've come to learn former hunter biden bestie and barisma board holder devin archer 
is one of the people that is apparently blowing the whistle on the Biden crime family and talking about Joe Biden's connectivity tissue to everything, even though he is alleged he didn't know any of Hunter Biden's international business dealings. He didn't know where monies were going and coming from. He didn't know any of the people Hunter Biden did business with. I mean, WhatsApp text messages. Now there's reports that Joe Biden would get put uh, on speakerphone quite often when Hunter Biden was doing his one-on-one business dealings to introduce Joe to the people that he was talking to and doing business with internationally and to kind of rope him into what exactly the logistics and parameters of the next money laundering item would be. We also seen pictures with Joe Biden playing golf with several of the people Hunter Biden did international business with as well. So we all know that that whole narrative is full of shit. I mean, we all remember that time. We played that sound clip months ago on the show. It was during the first year of the Biden uh, regime where he snapped at Peter Ducey. It was like, hey, Jack, I said I didn't know any of them, and I don't know anything about it. Why don't you ask the right, ask the <laughs> right questions is what he said. And Peter Ducey was like, hmm. Are you going to give me other questions? Yeah. Are you not going to? commit international tax crimes didn't we didn't we already run these questions by you (laughs) (laughs) now Devin archer has had to reschedule his congressional testimony twice he was supposed to have another round yesterday but it looks like he's confirmed uh his attendance for monday up on capitol hill let's hear a little bit into that today hunter's right hand man Devin archer we can now report will testify will give an interview is the way to say this actually from capitol hill one week from today we just got the date on this very important moment in this story because of course devin archer knows all about the biden family business because he was there he was involved in nearly all of it here is uh hunter biden and devin archer playing golf with uh, then vice president uh lots of photos of them with different business associates from some of these deals now the president has repeatedly denied literally any connection or understanding at all about hunters what some would call odd business dealings with ukraine and chinese executives archer can likely shed a lot of light on this situation and potentially blow the thing wide open uh, through a source connected to him. He's saying that he wants to tell the truth. So Miranda Devine with a big report on this today in the New York Post saying that he will testify and that he will put the vice president uh, right in the middle of this because he says that Hunter put then Vice President Dad Joe on the phone with business associates in front of him at least two dozen times. He mm. They also showed that picture I was referencing, the golf foursome where Devin Archer and, and Hunter Biden were with Joe Biden and a foreign business associate, someone Joe Biden claimed to not know or have never met. Perfect. And we all know what kind of business. I mean, Antoinette, you worked in Hollywood for a long time. The real business happens on the golf course. There's no press. There's no yeah, cameras. Uh, and, and that's where the backroom right. sweetheart deals actually go down. When you look at the people who are kind of at the head of this investigation, namely Jamie Comer, uh, he's done the best job that he's can with the numbers and tools that have probably been given him. You know, over the course of the last six months, he's probably done more than the FBI and the DOJ combined over the last decade. There's also a lot of speculation going into, you know, how long and how wide of a scope that this has been affecting Joe Biden's office, both personal, public, and, uh, you know, as a public servant, as the vice president, senator, and now president of the United States has gone. I saw an article the other day. So there was a piece of artwork that Hunter Biden 
created. Mm. Went for the low, low price of $875,000 at auction. Wow. God. And a joke, dude. historically big Democrat donor, friend of the Biden family, purchased said piece of art. And then at the start of the Biden administration was appointed to a very prestigious commission within the administration. Oh, I'm starting to hear mumblings that this compromised nature that Joe Biden lived his life, especially probably at the start of his mental decline, got so bad and it looks like that Hunter Biden in some situations may have just held his dad hostage. I'll talk to these guys. Oh, I'm just going to throw you on the dad. I'm talking to these guys on the phone. Just jump on with us real quick. It, I, I do think some of that started to happen, especially when Joe Biden kind of lost the ability to stand up for himself, uh, you know, as he got older. I think Obama knew about this to yeah. the point that you guys remember, he, he really strongly was against Joe Biden running for president against Donald Trump in 2016. Yep. And I mean, besides making funny podcast remarks, like don't question Joe Biden's ability to fuck things up, which we all laugh at every time we hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe there were some real legitimate reasons, you know, this FBI and DOJ were so compromised that they had open access to the president's office, not on official business, but just to talk about how they were going to go after their political opponents, even back then saying like, Hey, I know, that most of these people that are supporting Donald Trump aren't ready for the show because they were just getting their footing in regards to it coming from the business sector and the private sector and the, you know, establishment politics. But all of these other candidates, Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, uh, Jeb Bush, all of them, Chris Christie, they will start to peel back the onion on Joe Biden. If you throw him in this race. And, and I really think that's why it, it certainly didn't happen. Uh, let's hear Representative Comer. He was on Ted Cruz's podcast yesterday and was talking about some of the stuff leading up into what's going to be our last clip of the segment before we jump in with Cash Patel. I'm not shocked about anything. I think that Joe Biden has been selling access to our enemies for decades. And look, I think that, that Obama knew this was going on towards the end. And I think that's why Obama didn't want Biden run for president. I don't think it had anything to do with his age. I don't think it had anything to do with the gaffe. I think he never look, underestimate the ability for Joe Biden to f it up. Th that's right. <laughs> and, 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 and look, they had to know what was going on with with Ukraine. I mean, that stinks to high heaven. What was? It's a really good point. Yeah. And I mean, that's probably where it started. All right, wrapping things up here in this segment before we jump into Cash Patel. And I just want to remind everybody, wherever you're listening today, obviously we know a lot of people have loved our last couple podcasts just based off the numbers. We appreciate that. But the most important thing you can do for Steak for Breakfast, we are unmonetized. We are self-funded. Go to your whatever downloadable podcasting platform you're listening to us on, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeart, Podbean. Subscribe to the show. It helps the rating. It helps us in the suggestions. Now when people listen to our podcast or people who aren't listening to our podcast yet, which they should be because if you're here in the show today, you should be sharing with your friends and family. We will come up in the suggestions more often. More people will click on that link. Don't worry. We're not a cooking show. We are America's fastest growing political podcast. And then across social media, Twitter, Getter, Truth Social, and Instagram. Find our official accounts. Not that hard. Follow them and hit the notification bell. All right. So we're talking impeachment here. And Kevin McCarthy did just that last night on Fox News. He did kind of outlie 
And remember, it was just a little over a month ago that he said he had no interest in impeaching Joe Biden for political reasons. It seems like with all the hard work that the Oversight, Weaponization, and Judiciary Committee have done over the course of the last couple months have made Kevin McCarthy feel comfortable. And, and we all know he's going to do it in the most boringest, milk toast, uh, not going after everythingest way possible. But at least that he's going on national television and talking about it is huge. Let's hear it. That they bribed the Bidens, okay? This was given to the FBI. When Bill Barr finally found out about it, he sent it to his office in Philadelphia. They actually said that this was very credible. The FBI kept this from the IRS individuals for them ever to see it. So not only do they claim that they were bribed, we now find information that 16 out of 17 payments from Romania were provided to the Biden shell companies while he was vice president. When President Biden was running for office, he told the American public that he's never talked about business. He said his family has never received a dollar from China, which we now prove is not true. We now have some of the most credible whistleblowers. These 10-year IRS agents who have come forward said that the Biden family has been treated differently, that what Weiss has told us is different than what Garland and Weiss has told the public. And you're sitting here today where now you have found millions of foreign money, just what the 1023 alleges they did to Biden's family. Now we found that it has funneled through shell companies. If you're sitting in our position today, we would know none of this if Republicans had not taken the majority. We've only followed where the information has taken us. But Hannity, this Speaker. is rising to the level of impeachment inquiry, which provides Congress the strongest power to get the rest of the knowledge and information needed. Because this president has also used something we have not seen since Richard Nixon, used the weaponization of government to benefit Skittles. his family mm. and deny Congress the ability to have the oversight. If we are talking about millions of dollars coming from our top geopolitical foes and that the Biden family has been corrupted and, and took in all of this money and he was complicit in that, wouldn't that, wouldn't that, wouldn't that mean on, that we have sweat, a criminal enterprise uh, in, in, as president of the United States that had to be on every level compromised by countries that are not particularly fond of us? Well, it's interesting that the Biden family runs, if they say, a company but never had an office and shell companies to be able to pay through. Hmm. But if they really ran it for foreign countries, why didn't you get money from France, from Germany, from UK? Why does it have to be from China, Romania, um, in these countries that have real challenges and had problems going through? I believe we will follow this all the way to the end, and this is going to rise to an impeachment inquiry the way the Constitution tells us to do this, and we have to get the answers to these questions. In the words of John Dean, a malignant cancer now is surrounding the Biden presidency, and those walls are closing awfully tight. Uh, this is not going the way I'm sure they wanted it to. And then we have on the other side of it the assistance of the DOJ and the FBI. That's Jim Jordan's committee. Uh, and, you know, it's all just a lot of talk. But on Monday, we'll see Devin Archer. And next week, I've also been able to confirm that we're going to see David Weiss, who was the special prosecutor who was stonewalled in every avenue he tried to go down to prosecute Hunter Biden. Uh, he'll be coming up to testify on Capitol Hill as well. 
and now we're going to find out and get actual receipts on the congressional record is what Merrick Garland has been saying that people could do whatever they want throughout the course of their investigations. Bullshit, as according to David Weiss, the special prosecutor has said, was the case. And, and then we saw, you know, a little bit more legitimacy made to that argument when the IRS whistleblower special unit team came in and testified up on Capitol Hill last week. So we're going to continue to track this. Obviously, it's going to be developing throughout the course of the week. I don't think we're going to move anywhere regarding impeachment or looking to formulate a special counsel or anything into Joe Biden and his international business dealings in association with Hunter Biden until after we get everybody's testimony done. So probably not too much for Friday's show except commentary. But again, we will continue to track that. We're going to jump in with former chief of staff to the DOD, Cash Patel, right now. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you enter promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us first on the show today, he's the former chief of staff to the DOD, special assistant to President Trump, official spokesman for Pabst Beer. Cheated on us with Fox and Friends this morning, but we won't hold it against him. <laughs> Mr. Cash Patel, thanks for joining us on the show. You know you guys are my first love. <laughs> yeah, it's you funny. will be. I never sleep, and even though yesterday was my off night, we're getting ready to go to bed. Me and my wife had just watched a movie, and I'm in bed, and she comes out of the bathroom, and, and I'm not even looking at the TV, but I just put it on. She's like, hey, your friend's on television, and I was like, who? And I turn around and look, and there's the, there was the panel of people coming up on the show, and it was Cash Patel. I was like, how dare you? <laughs> You're like the first girl that I asked to prom that said yes, so you guys will always be first. Yes. I like it. I like it, too. Cash, we started off the show today talking about the investigation into the Biden crime syndicate and how it's heating up. We heard Kevin McCarthy for the first time <laughs> actually mention impeachment. We all know that it's going to be like the lamest way possible whenever they do it. It's going to be very milquetoast, as President Trump puts it sometimes. But you have to admit, Jamie Comer, Jim Jordan, they have been doing some work uh, over a decade of receipts probably hidden within the FBI, DOJ, and every other facet of the administrative state that they've been able to uncover in a little bit less than six months. I know you are really, really critical of these people, how fast they move and what direction they go in. But just talking about that, wh what are you thinking when you see and actually, you know, we're going to have Devin Archer and David Weiss testifying up on Capitol Hill next week. We've already had the IRS whistleblowers. What do you think? So... Uh, very topical because announcing on your show, I just wrote an op-ed on it that's releasing in the Daily Caller. Which mm. one is the one we like? Daily, anyway. Daily Caller. Yeah, on this. And look, I have been super critical, and I'm not less critical in it. Um, and I think Kevin McCarthy's wrong about one thing, that we're inching closer to impeachment. We're at impeachment, but he has the wrong target. Impeaching Joe Biden is a complete waste of time and exactly what the liberal left wants us to do. We have to impeach Ray and Garland. These people are the ones that have hid the documentation from us, like the FD-1023 that Chuck Grassley put out, which had so much information in it. And that's the crux of my op-ed. It's one document. 
Just think about the thousands of other pages of stuff, emails, internal memorandums, lovebird text messages, and all the other corruption cover-up scandals that Gray and Garland have mastered in their two-tier system of justice. So Congress has to pick, and I agree, Comer and you know Jordan are doing it, doing what they can with the bandwidth they have. But the thing I'm critical of them on is how fast they move and the amount of time they give these people to break the law. I mean, every instance of a congressional subpoena that's violated is a federal felony. These guys have half a dozen, Ray and Garland, outstanding congressional subpoenas to their name that they haven't completed. And the due dates are well past that. And if we look at what happens to Trump people who violate a congressional subpoena, well, they get convicted and go to jail. Mm -hmm. So these guys need to put the screws, these guys being our folks in Congress, need to put the screws to them. And um, that's what I'm calling for. I'm not going to let let up because they gave us one document in four months. We knew that document existed four months ago. And you let Ray and Garland dictate the terms to the United States Congress. I mean, man up already. No, you make an excellent point. I do want to, you know, our listenership, we're all, our audio only, but I do have Garland and Ray circled. <laughs> Because I knew Cash was going to bring it up when he came on the show. I didn't want to mention it in our first news segment because we were talking about where we might be going with Joe Biden. It just seems like it's... Okay, Joe Biden may have done some really heinous and committed some felonious crimes throughout the course of his term as a senator with classified documents, using his office for pay-for-play as vice president. And, and now, sniffing children. And sniffing children. Well, he tried to eat a child in Sweden a couple weeks ago. Yeah, that's we also, right. That was that's weird. Right. Then he went back in for the sniff. <laughs> but, you know, at this point... Joe Biden is not going to win the next election if he stays on the trajectory that he's on right now. It's just completely impossible between the geopolitics, the economy, the border, the crime, the trans stuff, you name it. If you put these scandals on top of it and work towards an investigation, but you are right. You know, when David Weiss comes up on Capitol Hill next week, him and Merrick Garland have literally said the poor opposites of the way that investigation played out into Hunter Biden. So when we get receipts on the congressional record and and you're going to have a U.S. attorney come to Capitol Hill and testify that Merrick Garland is legitimately lying, it should be impeachment proceedings that are immediately opened into him. And then when you talk about Christopher Wray, just the smug, absolute elitist nature that he's treated both the Senate and House oversight committees when he's gone before them saying he's got to catch a plane, he really doesn't care, he can't talk about it. What, the way he leads congressmen down when they ask him a question, let's just say in reference to like confidential human sources on the ground on January 6th, that back and forth he had with Andy Biggs is completely embarrassing. It doesn't do anything to stop or slow down an investigation that the FBI is doing because they were the ones that proprieted it, in my opinion. I'm probably sure yours as well, Cash. And when you talk about this, impeachment Joe Biden is completely pointless. Moving towards those proceedings is even less pointless because the Senate's never going to put it through anyway. So, I mean, you could literally convict him of felonies that go above misdemeanors in the House and and the Senate won't vote on it just because of numbers. So I I think it's just an absolute disaster what's going on, Uh, you know, with the overall investigations. I I am glad that we're finally catching these guys with literally the money in their hands. But moving Mm -hmm. forward, we do have to kind of focus where the attention goes. And I think Garland and Ray are much easier targets, especially when they – the way they've just defied Congress, uh, like you mentioned, is kind of, you know, just enough to get things started. So what we're going to be talking about after we get off with you, Cash, is the latest on the Trump federal indictment for January 6th, Jack Smith's Puzzle Council, uh, and where that's going. I mean, last week there was, you know, reports that it was going to be as early as last Thursday and no later than Monday. Here we sit Tuesday afternoon here on the West Coast and still, uh, you know, no indictment, no arraignment or anything like that. We know you can't get into too much specifics, but when you get talk about, you know, just the legitimacy of this and, and where it could possibly go, what are some of the things you're thinking about regarding this case? 
Well, it all ties together. It's all about the two-tier system of justice. Whether you're talking about Donald Trump and Jan 6, the documents case, Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, and his you know criminal international syndicate of organized fraud and narcotics and weapons crimes and bribery and extortion. I mean, as bad as those players are, not Donald Trump, the Bidens, as bad as they are, the people that are worse are the Rays and Garlands and Weisses of the world. And it's and I'm glad to learn. I heard that Weiss wasn't going to come till after Labor Day. But if you're telling me he's coming next week, I'm glad they actually made that move and forced him to come in. Hopefully he shows up. But these guys aren't able to keep their story straight because they're trying to keep the lie straight. And what they don't want. And here's the here's the boondoggle that Washington and I've seen so many people and journalists on our side included. Oh, we need a special counsel. Are you guys morons? Do you want to get any more material on this investigation or do you want to have another Mueller Durham boondoggle an FBI cover up of their corruption with Garland and Ray appointing a Rod Rosenstein and saying, oh, yeah, we'll get back to you guys in two years after the next election cycle. That's what a special counsel will do here. There is no purpose in issuing a special counsel. The call for that is utter stupidity. It's swamp stupid. And it ties directly into what they want the left wants us to focus on they want us to impeach biden they want us to focus on special counsel nonsense so that when and if this trump indictment comes or the trump world indictment whatever you want to call it comes from special counsel jack smith they can say look we're prosecuting based on the facts and you guys are chasing rabbits um down these holes that don't have a bottom and you know they'll win the media war on that Mm -hmm. and so we have to be careful look i think if president trump gets indicted again as evil and as vicious as Jack Smith and Karen Gilbert, the corrupt deputy under him, and all these other Jay Bratt, the guy who basically bribed one of the or tried to bribe one of the lawyers by dangling a judgeship in front of him, according to public reporting. I mean, this is who we're dealing with. And after the last special counsel indictment, Donald Trump raised thirty-five million dollars. If he's done, if they do it again, it's probably going to be like seventy, and they're going to hand him the White House because. The people in the middle of the country are like, wait a second, you guys weren't lunatics. You weren't conspiracy theorists. This is right. He shouldn't have been indicted at all for the documents case. We've exposed their complete right flank. If they come in now, two and a half years later, and indict him for January 6th with what? Insurrection or some treasonous conduct that hasn't been uh, charged in America through a sitting president ever? I mean, I think people are just going to be like, wait a second. But I think What they'll try to do is, of course, they tried down in Miami, and at least we have a jurist down there, Judge Cannon, who's playing it by the books and allowing the appropriate amount of time to go. But in D.C., you know that's the opposite. So if they bring this case in D.C., they'll try to ram it through, get a conviction, and kneecap Donald Trump. Look, the DOJ and FBI, no longer their leadership structure about chasing down criminals. The everyday men and women there, yes, they do that. But Ray and Garland... And Lisa Monaco and all these other people, the only thing they care about is using our law enforcement entities to rig presidential elections and take out President Donald J. Trump. And we'll be out there every day fighting them on this one because we will win this war um, that they have levied against the American citizenry. And if Congress can just come along with us just one time and get it right (laughs) and move their asses, then we will cruise to victory with Donald Trump as the next commander in chief. I mean, that's it right there. You know, I've, I've heard a couple different things coming out of the Jack Smith special counsel. We talked to a lot of people very close to Trump world. And, uh, you know, I think one of the biggest things that made me smile this week was that it didn't matter who I talked to. 
one of the narratives leaking out of the special counsel right now is there are so many people that Jack Smith is trying to intimidate or incentivize yeah. to flip on Donald Trump and no one is doing it that he's getting ridiculously frustrated with it and trying to widen the scope even more. And we all know what happens. Cash, you were a federal prosecutor for a long time. You know what the inside of a courtroom looks like. You know how cases are built. Even more so, you know how cases are won. The more you widen that net and the broader you try to make like a pinpoint charge go against somebody, it gets lost in the sauce and it just looks like a really bad, you know, uh, indictment or, you know, possible charges from the start. And it looks like Jack Smith's running into a lot of that. So they're probably just going to turn it into a three ring circus on TV, the news cycle. I mean, I saw a CNN panel this weekend. I know it's fake news CNN, but they're like, you know, they keep looking into Joe Biden and all the stuff that happened with his family. But if the news doesn't report on it, is it really a scandal? And that th they <laughs> talked about this for 10 minutes and, and they all agreed like, you know what, as long as we just kind of stay focused on the legislation that Joe Biden's trying to, you know, push across the finish line in his in his second term, then I think he'll, he'll be able to beat this. And I was like, Wait. so if a tree falls in the forest, does it make a sound? Basically, hmm. what if you open up a paps oh. in the studio? I already did. Ooh. <laughs> there you, you go. guys got to get sound effects because that would have been the perfect time to play that thing. Right. <laughs> what a tree falling. A paps opening. <laughs> Now, Cash, you talked about Donald Trump reclaiming the White House in 2024. He is looking extremely strong on the campaign trail. Two polls that are out today show him beating Joe Biden by six and four points, respectively, in the general election. You want to talk about the Republican primary? Not really anybody else wants to. You've got Ron DeSantis floundering, uh, tying Vivek Ramaswamy in one poll, and then getting beat in the latest South Carolina polls by former governor there, Nikki Haley, by one point. They're looking to do maybe their third or fourth or fifth reboot kind of a moot point at this point and when you talk about just the way things have lined up i'm sure states are going to try and interfere with the way electors uh go places like california and florida already messing around with the winner take all the winner take some but it looks like donald trump is the clear and present gop nominee what can you say about the campaign he's run getting agenda 47 out there way early when everybody was kind of scratching their heads we were all promoting it saying like this is brilliant because what he's going to do is make everybody either play catch up have to deviate from the MAGA driven policies or just kind of say that Donald Trump stuff didn't work. None of three register with America first and how Donald Trump is bringing people back to the reservation respectively. Uh, you know, just in the last couple of weeks, we've had everyone from governor Brian Kemp to Megan Kelly say they're mending the bridges and the, you know, they're looking forward to endorsing whoever the GOP uh, candidate is, even if it's Donald Trump. Yeah, uh, I've noticed a little bit of that uh, tale coming around now, and you knew it was always going to come. Sure. And uh, people paid attention to the truth and the facts and could put aside personal differences. Look, Donald Trump has dominated the landscape like nobody else could have but Donald Trump. There is no Republican primary. It's a joke for the existence of the RNC to have a summer thing to do here into the fall. I don't think Donald Trump should test uh, should uh, go in there and even um, debate these people. What's the point when you're 40 plus points ahead? What's the point when you're here's the thing, right? If you're a Republican and you come in there as a Ron DeSantis or whatever the other people's names are and you argue against a Donald Trump policy. OK, show me one that has failed the American people. What, his border policy, his drug policy, his human trafficking policy, his policies against China, Russia, Iran, counterterrorism, uh, DOD, ending the forever? Which one of these policies failed? These guys that are trying to run against him are so desperate to claim a different victory that they're actually advocating for non-conservative values. They're mm -hmm. going out there and saying, oh, well, he didn't build a border wall. 
He did build it. Mm-hmm. That's what the left is saying. He didn't build it. What are you guys talking about? And he's going to finish it. Now, what are you going to do, do, do? Tear it down, Ron, and then rebuild it and call it the DeSantis wall? I mean, that's the point. Like, you guys don't have better policies because there is no better policy than Agenda 47. He's brilliantly put it out there on Truth Social. And he keeps doing it every week. I can't even keep up with half the stuff. I'm like, wait, what's the, what's in this? What are we doing here? What are we doing here? And that's a good problem to have because, like you guys said, no one can come back and say, oh, he didn't say anything about education. He didn't say anything about healthcare. He said, 10 different things about every subject that I can think of that is of consequence to the American public. And not only did he say it, he said, I did it. Just look here. So he has that value add that I think, well, maybe Grover Cleveland was the last guy to have it. Mm -hmm. It says, look what I did when I was president. I'm not telling you to rely on me and put your wishes in my bucket. I'm telling you what happened and I'm making the policies better. I learned from my mistakes. We're going to replace the personnel. We're going to go one step further. And people that traffic, not just narcotics, but children are going to get the death penalty. I mean, these are things that are resonating with America. And the left, whether you look at my buddy Jim Caviezel's movie or Jason Aldean's new song, uh, not even new song, song that's been out for like three months. America is listening and watching the conservative values rise to the top that they care about and the woke industry can't shut them down. Like, you know, who cares about Bud Light and Mickey, whatever that person's name is <laughs> and whatever the Taylor Swift's doing on tour or what it doesn't matter. They, they, they no longer own the media narrative because everyday Americans have shut it off. And I think only person that could have led that charge is Donald Trump. I mean, they told him you couldn't do it from truth social and he did. And he is uh, on a daily basis. And uh, whether or not that stuff makes it to social media, that's up for all the, the major MAGA influencers that, that have you know lifted President Trump's yeah. narrative and message. And uh, I, I think he's done it the right way. The way the poll numbers are looking now, it's almost an insurmountable lead. I completely agree with you on the debates. He should stay out of the first two. The first one, absolutely not. The Fox News, Ronald McDaniel sponsored one, uh, you know, where you got uh, Brett Baer and, and uh, Megan McGowan, um, you know, narrating that and, and, and being the moderators, they both hate his guts. And, and then when you talk about whatever the second one is, it's like, why would Donald Trump bring himself down to play in the mud when he's already completely stepped over the entire field? And the fact of the matter is, is these people who are running underneath him and really far behind him have refused to put out policies because they're just waiting to see what happens to Donald Trump legally, which I think was probably the worst political play in the history of modern politics. But hey, that's just me. Cash, last thing I want to touch with you on, we always want to promote your great works, your pro bono works, I'll keep it in the legal premise here, uh, of stuff you're doing to help out the community across the country. What can you tell us the latest on the foundation? Uh, thanks. Yeah, the Cash Foundation is doing really well. Um, look, we're, we're happy to announce that we finally got the first revenue stream from Justice for All, Donald Trump's number one song with the January 6th prison choir. Uh, people probably don't know, but in the music industry, it takes about 90 days for the revenue to just start coming in. And so uh, Ed Henry and Real America's Voice, our partners there, issued a $25,000 check to the Cash Foundation for Jan Six Families. Awesome. We've already distributed that money. We're expecting another 50000 to come in. And the foundation, aside from the Justice for All work, is giving away thousands and thousands of dollars every month to families in need, be it military, veterans, law enforcement, teachers. We've endowed a scholarship for children who want to go to college. Uh, we're just giving money away, and and we're, we're fortunate to be able to do it because of great programs like yours. And 
you know, I'm, I'm always proud to say this. No one on the board has a salary. We, we don't take money. Um, we give it, we just put it right back. We have an operating budget. We have to, and I'll brag. We have the best merch line in the business. Fact check. Uh, Cashfoundation.com. So, um, and we owe you guys a new box of swag. We just came out with a fresh new line of stuff over at based apparel. I'm not sure if you've seen our new apparel company launch, but it's pretty fresh and we'll get you guys whatever you want. Nice. Nice. I'll text you the uh, podcast studio address today. Cash, we're going to live link the foundation, obviously, in the show description today. For anyone that's not following you on True Social, there's only one handle they could find you at. What you got? <laughs> at Cash, at K-A-S-H. Um, not on Telegram, not on Titter, not on Facebook, not on ScrewTube or anything else. But he is on Steak for Breakfast today. This is the former chief of staff <laughs> to the DOD, the man, Mr. Cash Patel. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it, as always. You're all the best. The other thing you track for us, of course, is the ongoing legal trouble for former president donald trump it is a monday remind us where things may head this week in the myriad cases facing him if there's going to be an indictment here in washington dc on the special counsel's january 6th investigation it could come as early as tomorrow 1 p.m eastern time when the grand jury is here in the courthouse the january 6th grand jury tends to meet on tuesdays and thursdays ed and the magistrate judge tends to sit at 1 p.m eastern time to hear his or her caseload that's the soonest it could happen, but there's certainly no date on the calendar. That's a date certain. There's no indictment that is certain. All we can say is the target letter that Trump acknowledged and announced and that we have confirmed is an indication a federal prosecution is likely, if not imminent. You want to measure this by days and weeks, not by months and years. Absolutely. And, and it's more, it sounds like from what we've seen and what uh, lawyers have said to the press behind the scenes and stuff like that, it sounds like it's more than just protesting that he lost the election. It sounds like they've assembled evidence about uh, tactics that the former president used to try to hold on to power after he lost in 2020, uh, assembling slates of so-called fake electors from swing states that the president had at that point lost, uh, pressured state officials to block or delay Joe Biden's win, and of course famously on January 6th, uh, tried to persuade the vice president not to certify the uh, election results in the electoral college. That's just some of the stuff that could be in involved. Remember, we know all, all that. All, all we know for sure is, according to the source at ABC, there are three federal statutes. We don't know exactly the evidence. We just know that that is the case that has been uh, levied against him in the past. I never thought I would say that as the leading political opponent of crooked Joe Biden, getting indicted and arrested by sick government thugs would be my great honor. It's an honor, because I'm doing it for you. I'm doing it for our country to show how evil and sinister a place it has become. Well, that was a little montage to kick off the week, news-wise, on the latest into the upcoming Trump indictment regarding Jack Smith, January 6th special counsel. Um, it was reported widely last week after Donald Trump was served with an indictment notification the Sunday before last. It was kind of teased throughout the news cycle last week that the earliest he could be indicted would be last Thursday. Uh, they did say in the same breath would be no later than this Monday. Here we sit Tuesday in the afternoon on the West Coast here and still nothing. So according to that first clip we played right there from CBS News, the judge and the magistrate meet on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So maybe we'll get some more insight into this by Thursday. But like they said, there's no set time frame and uh, apparently no rush since Donald Trump's not going anywhere to say the very least. It was great sitting down with Cash Patel. 
as it is always. And, and I just want to keep everybody's mind moving in that direction while you're going to hear a lot of bells and whistles regarding Joe Biden and, and how his impeachment proceedings are going. Kevin McCarthy just put out a lengthy statement regarding that uh, across the newswire um, to a press gaggle outside of his office up on Capitol Hill. We should be looking at how are we able to get to impeaching Joe Biden and two of the big pillars that have held up the lie, which is the Biden crime family, and kept him in the legitimate face of not only the corporate press and the media, uh, but the federal government is the fact that people like Merrick Garland and Christopher Wray have just stonewalled investigators and whistleblowers for nearly a decade now into blowing the lid off of what Joe Biden has going on. And, you know, the more that this stuff comes out, it looks like a lot of these components, people like Lisa Monaco as well, obviously Susan Rice, it all does lead back to Barack Obama. You guys, Noah, Antoinette, you guys are pretty much in agreement with that, that at the end of the day, at least in some context, maybe not dollars and cents, but just funny business-wise, Barack Obama knew while he was the president, Joe Biden was not only compromised, but working to line the pockets of himself and his family at the behest of the American taxpayer. Well, he knew he was incompetent for one, as you know, shown by his commentary, never underestimate the power of Joe Biden to fuck things up. But on top of that, I mean, knowing how dirty he was, I mean, they're, they're all pretty dirty, but I'm not drowning any sous chefs in my pond. You know, I was just going to bring that up. Someone who posted on his Instagram and TikTok that he was getting better at becoming a swimmer in an Olympic pool. Yeah, I saw that video. Drowned in eight feet of water while paddleboarding. Hmm. Yeah, it sounds a little weird. I'm not going to lie to you. I asked one question and one question only. Eight feet. Does any, did anybody know where Hillary Clinton was when this young man disappeared i think she was sitting in that chair in the death star <laughs> oh man so matt gates one of our favorite america first house republicans sat in for rob schmidt last night on his show and anchored a full hour on newsmax he as one of the people who has helped lead the counter investigation to the trump indictments and blowing open the lid on the biden crime syndicate had some commentary on Jack Smith and his special counsel. Let's hear it. This is very on point regarding Jack Smith's specific misuse of the Espionage Act. Thomas Drake went to work for the NSA on September 11, 2001. He ultimately grew frustrated with the NSA's violations of Americans' civil liberties, often in secret, contrary to law. There were allegations of mismanagement, too. He claims he provided controlled, unclassified information to the Baltimore Sun that resulted in explosive reporting in 2006 and 2007. This reporting ultimately led to changes at the NSA and better questions from Congress, by the way. The government suspected that Drake was the leak. And instead of awarding him a worthy medal, they raided his home. Two years later, he was indicted on 10 counts. And years after that, on the eve of trial, the government dropped all the felonies, including every Espionage Act charge. He pled guilty to a single misdemeanor. Mm. Federal Judge Richard Bennett pistol whipped the government over this fiasco. He said he had never seen such unconscionable behavior by prosecutors that didn't pass the smell test. Drake was never proven to have released anything classified, yet he was branded a traitor to his country. Judge Bennett even noted he asked another judge if he had ever 
seen a defendant treated like this. It was unprecedented. And what prosecutor led the public integrity section at the Department of Justice when this very injustice was perpetrated? Well, that would be none other than Jack Smith. Talked about this on our Friday edition of the show. It was all on his watch. Now Jack Smith is using the very legal tool, the Espionage Act, that he was rebuked for misusing, and he's using it to pursue President Trump. I Can't lay it out any simpler than that. You know, when, when, when a lot of this stuff at the core of the rottenness that the DOJ currently presents itself as began back in 2014, 2015, you had current special counsel head Jack Smith running the integrity department over there at the Department of Justice before he ran into a couple, let's call them legal hiccups, and uh, was overruled by the Supreme Court in a couple cases for prosecutorial misconduct. We all know where this is going. We've heard from a lot of people with inside of Trump world right now that because no one is flipping as the DOJ wanted people to do, probably with sweetheart deals and, you know, future employment, um, Jack Smith is becoming frustrated. You saw that when the Michigan slate of electors who had, you know, an alternate slate during the 2020 presidential election were arrested last week up in Michigan. And what's going to happen is if they can't get anybody to flip, and they already know that this January 6th narrative, as we're going to get into in a second right here, with uh, a pretty decent receipt from an unsuspecting person, continues to unravel. He's going to turn it into a three-ring circus within the media and the corporate press. And it's going to be the Mueller investigation on steroids. Donald mm. Trump is finished, going to jail forever. They're going to allege every single thing and even worse outcomes than you could even speculate. And Donald Trump's going to wind up walking away scot-free. Uh, as we know, should be the case. So, you know, and and I just want to remind everybody, $10 million of taxpayer money has already been used to investigate Donald Trump uh, via special counsel since the start of these investigations, which is an absolute disgrace, to say the least. So speaking of which, former vice president and current GOP primary candidate, Mike Pence, donned a couple cable news outlets over the course of the weekend. He sat down on CNN's State of the Fake Union with Dana Bash on Sunday, and she tried to get some verbal receipts from the former vice president, disgrace in all of his beings, on Donald Trump and this January 6th special counsel. Let's hear this hit first. If the Justice Department has evidence that he committed a crime related to January 6th, you do not think he should be charged? Well, uh, look, I'm... I, I know I did my duty that day <laughs> under the Constitution. And uh, frankly, it. as we traveled across New Hampshire this week to uh, 10 events in communities uh, across the state, I, I, I was deeply moved at how many people expressed their appreciation to me for the stand that we took uh, for the Constitution. And I've said many times that the president's words were reckless that day. I had no right to overturn uh, the election. Uh, but. Uh, uh, while his words were reckless, I, based on what I know, I'm not yet convinced that they were criminal. I mean, I, uh, I obviously wasn't there for every meeting. I was, I was busy trying to help reopen the government and the country after the COVID pandemic. I was spending a fair amount of mm-hmm. time in Georgia, Dana, as you remember, in those special elections. Uh, but, uh, you know, from what I know, I just, uh, I, I, 
I, I really do hope it doesn't come to that. Uh, and, and also for the reason that I do think uh, the Department of Justice uh, has has lost the confidence of the American people. I mean, what do you think about that, Noah? The Department of Justice has lost the confidence of the American people? Just, yes. To say the very least. Yeah. He was asked the same type of question last night on News Nation. And just for receipts purposes, I thought it would be good to uh, hear him when he's asking and people try to reword this and are trying to get a receipt. We all know there's a lot of disdain between Donald Trump and Mike Pence. I don't know back rumoredly what happens between them. But I do know, you know, at the end of the day, for as much as a, of a spine Mike Pence didn't show on January 6th, throughout the course of his career, he's, he's pretty much been a man of self-integrity, to say the least. So to be able to circle the wagons and, and rally around President Trump when this in, indictment and the charges that they're looking, you know, conspiracy, sedition, uh, you know, essentially calling him a traitor to the country and, and calling him an insurrectionist just cannot stick because that is not what happened. Let's hear the vo former vice president again. Well, it's, you know, I lived through that day yeah, on that's January the biggest 6th. Side I've spoken and written yeah. extensively about it and as you as you recounted uh after we uh, made the proper protections for my constitutional prerogatives as president of the senate i was called upon uh, to testify and uh and, and did so in a way consistent with the story that i've told the american people look uh, um, president trump's words that day uh, were reckless um, I, I had no right to overturn the election um, president trump was wrong then he's he's wrong now uh, and I, I believe that history, uh, uh, history will hold him to account uh, for his actions that day. But with regard to the prospect of an indictment, I, I hope it doesn't come to that. Um, the, uh, I, I'm not convinced that um, the president acting on the bad advice of, of a group of crank lawyers uh, that came into the White House in the days before January 6th is actually criminal. Hmm. Crank lawyers. What do you think about that? She's talking about Sidney Powell and friends. Remember, remember this? Sidney Powell. What happened to her? <laughs> Man, what an absolute mess and disaster and embarrassment for Powell. our... I miss Nick sometimes. Yeah. Speaking of which, wherever you're listening to the show today, across every downloadable podcasting platform, be it Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, etc., make sure you subscribe to the show Subscriptions are up. Downloads are up. That goes to the great work that our listenership has done to share the show, to share our content. All it does is help us out in the algorithms. It doesn't do anything else. We don't financially benefit from Steak for Breakfast. We are self-funded, grassroots, we bottom level. Definitely don't financially benefit. Ain't scared of shit? <laughs> yeah. And, and by you subscribing to the show and continuing to share our content, we will continue to bask in the success of non-revenue. And we really appreciate it. Also, across all social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Follow the Steak for Breakfast podcast accounts. Hit the notification bell. Then you see all of our great content coming out, delivered directly to you when it does. Just want to remind everybody, we're going to be sitting down with William Wolf, former senior official within the Trump administration. He did some time in the DOD. He did some time in the Trump State Department. Uh, at the end of this segment, we're also going to be sitting down after we talk about our GOP roundup with Newsweek senior editor-at-large, Josh Hammer. Always looking forward to hear from him and all the great work that he's going on as well. So, well, Fox News... They're kind of having a tough time with this. You, you know, think? well, 
You know, I saw a segment this morning right after I saw Cash Patel, who cheated on us with Brian Kilme this morning. How dare you? Mm. They just were talking about, I wish Glenn Youngkin would run now. The governor from Virginia. Because they can't come to terms with the fact that Donald Trump has been able to beat this in the eyes and the hearts of the American people. And that, the you know, he's gaining in popularity day by day and with every indictment that comes down. And I just think it's funny that they go and, and try to take out of context the campaign that Donald Trump has run since last November and use this to their advantage while, you know, all of these other candidates who are in the field are just pretending. I already said it, you know, in the, in the first segment of our show, but there's a lot of commentators within our political orbit right now who are finally starting to realize and feel comfortable saying because they've been beaten so bad and they won't have to worry about probably attaching themselves to those campaign because Donald Trump's already won the GOP nomination, both on paper and, and probably in reality that none of these people have put out a campaign platform. Vivek Ramaswamy has put out policy points which sometimes run to the right of Donald Trump. So it's like, I love Donald Trump, but I could do it better, which is fine. And that's probably why a lot of millennials have resonated to him because he's young and he's new. But now you see as he's climbing up on Ron DeSantis in the polls, all of this stuff coming down, uh, you know, just trying to absolutely crush him. You know, they're making fun of his Hinduism religion. They're making fun of the fact that he's a vegan and doesn't support like sport killing for, uh, you know, pleasureful eating of animals. I like eating animals. So do I. It's going to be tough. You know, I, I, I wonder, I finally got to the final boss of Vivek Ramaswamy and we're texting back and forth now trying to get him on the show in the next week or so. And, uh, you know, we've told everybody that we have a presidential primary wish list. It's Vivek, it's RFK Jr., and it's Donald Trump. We've been told that Donald Trump's going to be on this show at some point before the general election. I have nothing but to believe the people that are telling me that because it's the senior comms director for the Trump campaign. Um, I was able to connect with Kathy Barnett over the course of the last week, and she's given me, you know, the information and, and the phone number of the schedule for Vivek. And, and if he wants to come on the show and lay it out here, we'll keep the Trump questions light and we'll, we'll get to hear part of what he has to say. So many people have done interviews with him now. Now I could just ask follow-up questions to all of those interviews and it'll be an absolute heater because we don't need to hear the generic why now and what's different. And Donald Trump is the 800-pound elephant in the room. How do you deal with that? We can ask more pinpointed questions and give our listenership the kind of interview that they deserve here on this show because... That's what we do. But when, when you see the way that this indictment stuff is kind of unfolding and how Donald Trump has handled it and how the media is handling it, you know, waiting for his overall demise, it, it, just, it just looks to me as this is an absolute disaster. Uh, and, and it's going to be one of those things where he's going to come out even stronger than ever before. So before we jump in with William Wolf, let's hear one more from the 45th president has, uh, we're getting ready to talk with him. Congress, if you will, please investigate the political witch hunts against me currently being brought by the corrupt DOJ and FBI who are totally out of control. They don't go after Biden with all of his corruption, the most corrupt president in history, but they keep coming after me from the day I came down the escalator, all failures. This continuing <laughs> saga is retribution against me for winning and even more importantly to them, election interference regarding the 2024 presidential election. 
It will be their updated form of rigging our most important election. Yep. Look at the polls. They can't beat me, MAGA, make America great again Maybe at the ballot box. The only way they can win is to cheat. And they cheat better than anybody has ever seen anybody cheat. Stop them now. Save our country. Make America great again. Thank you. Listen, it sounds so much like the Saturday Night Live Dominios commercial. <laughs> I think we've gotten our clip for the end of the show today. Dominios. It's like, hello, Congress, if you're listening. And then he goes into the whole. <laughs> it's called Make America Great Again. You know, MAGA, maybe you've heard of it. But this is kind of where we're at. You know, the fact of the matter is, is Donald Trump shouldn't have to be focused on this bullshit. But there's so much stuff going on around him. I think it's kind of helped his focus and his attentiveness. It doesn't give him a lot of room to just go off and do campaign events and huge rallies where he's absolutely beloved by the American people. He has to do more meetings and go over data and talk about policy points and, and you know, revisit timelines. To it, it, I think it helps strengthen his overall legacy and what he's trying to do heading into the next election. What do you guys think? Oh, all the stuff that he's had to deal with is nothing but just hone the fine point that is Donald Trump to make him into yeah. the fucking spear that is going right up the ass of any any competitors. <laughs> totally. I mean, I think it's just fired him up and fired up his base, and I think more people are supporting him now than ever because they're sick of the bullshit. And he's been in Iowa and Ohio this week. He's jumped on a plane and headed down to Louisiana this afternoon. And tomorrow, he's going to be in Pennsylvania, uh, which has been one of the host sites of some of his largest rallies ever. Uh, he's packed arenas, he's packed outside venues, and for a state that everyone claims is purple, remember, gubernatorial elections don't necessarily dictate the actual pulse of the state. And then what happened in the Senate races in the 2022 midterm elections, that's Pennsylvania's own fucking fault. You don't want to show out when John Fetterman, that's another thing, where the fuck is that guy? He can't, he can't still be alive. I was wondering the same. I'm not gonna, he's I'm not, probably paddleboarding somewhere. I'm not going to get fired <laughs> up by that. If you want to see the actual pulse of Pennsylvania. I'd believe it if he drowned. Mm, true story. In three feet of water, not eight. <laughs> okay. Check out the Trump rally this weekend, which we'll be exclusively covering on our Tuesday edition of the show. And look at how the people absolutely show out for Donald Trump every time he comes to town. So maybe next week. Maybe on our Friday edition of the show, we'll be uh, a little bit more into the know on whether or not this indictment is coming down anytime soon. But in the meantime, we're just going to continue to track it. And before we jump in with William Wolf, let's hear again from one of our partners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. All right, joining us next on the show today, he served as a senior official in the Trump administration. He still continues to serve America First. Joining us for the first time, William Wolf. thanks for coming on the show. Guys, thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm really thankful for what you're doing and glad to be here with you today. Well, we're glad to be sitting down with you for the first time, William, and uh, want to be able to catch our listenership up on everything that you've been doing since your time in the Trump administration. Why don't you give us an update and then we'll jump right into it. Yeah, so I was. Uh, I say that I did 45 for 45. I, I wasn't quite in on that first wave beachhead, but I joined the Trump administration in uh, April of 2017. So I was in it for the long haul. 
I worked in the State Department and the Department of Defense as a Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense. And once I uh, finished, you know, all the way through to January 21 or whatever it was, I took a pretty unconventional turn uh, because I'm a Christian and I was very concerned with how Christians approached Trump and politics during the Trump era. And so I actually went back to seminary or I went to seminary so that I could uh, sort of get a theological degree to merge with my political experience and, you know, bring sort of a new posture or propose a new posture for Christians in America when it comes to politics. So I finished the Masters of Divinity at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, which is the largest Baptist seminary. And along the way, I've done work as like writing for the Standing for Freedom Center out of Liberty University, did some work with the Center for Renewing America. And I've also done some work with American Reformer, which is seeking to revive and hold conservative institutions strong in a day and age of decay and decline. That sounds like a lot of work, and and I don't want to be cliche, but it sounds like you're doing the Lord's work now. Well, you mentioned that taking a different approach or or a different look into the way that that Christians go ahead and and you know examine their politics. What's some of the stuff that you've picked up from along the way, and how are we looking to apply that here in America First, heading into this critical general election cycle? Yeah, well, I think you guys have already touched on it, which is the idea of America First. I think that uh, Christians, uh, because we have a spiritual faith. We often uh, downplay the importance of the physical reality we live in and even our country. And so I think that I, I've been trying to make a sort of Christian case for an American first government, for an America first president, and that that's actually something that we should be proud of and we should support. I think those are the ideals that Trump embodied. And uh, too, too many Christians bring very emotional sort of postures to, to politics. And having served in the administration, I can tell you that policies matter so much. And I think Trump ran on excellent policies. He enacted excellent policies and things that we should all be able to get behind. So I've been trying to um, sort of weed out the emotional reasoning uh, that comes with a lot of Christian engagement to politics. Well, I think that's a huge component of it now. Uh, There's a lot of people who, you know, especially in the Christian voting bloc, in and around my church, they sometimes have a hard time defining the line between your president and your pastor. They want them to kind of embody the same person. And when you're talking about the leader of the free world and all the other things he has to deal with, both domestically and geopolitically, sometimes someone that has the values and and pushes the principles that are going to make, uh, you know, the experience for Christians in the United States the best that it could possibly be, which it isn't right now. We saw what happened during COVID. We saw Christians and Catholics being targeted by the DOJ and the FBI over the last couple of years. Getting back to at least a base level here, how important is it to have someone who is strong in and supports those values rather than just trying to find someone that who embodies, you know, like their local pastor that they want to run for office, which sometimes I think becomes the case? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you're absolutely right. I mean, look, if we study the sort of the history of the Christian right in America, I think the idea of wanting somebody like a pastor as president really came out of the the moral majority, which they did wonderful work and they've been proven right, you know, at every turn. But I think with assessing realistically the world we live in, which is something we often talk about as being an Augustinian approach to politics, he was he's one of the preeminent sort of theologians in the Christian faith, means that we have to take things as they are. And obviously in 2016, our choices were Trump or Clinton. And while Trump, you know, while Trump may not necessarily, you know, act like a pastor, all the policies that he put in place, both a, a, a home and abroad, sought to strengthen Christian values and support Christians everywhere globally. And I think that's something we should absolutely get behind. 
Do you think that uh, President Trump's openness and then, you know, the way he invites kind of people in to make sure that their voices are heard, not just within the Christian faith. I mean, he's also been referred to as the most Jewish president in the history of our country and things of that nature is what makes him so appealing to, to kind of, you know, all of the Christians out there right now who are looking for answers, especially after what happened when Joe Biden took office and how far we've, you know, backslid since then. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, um, you know, I think that the the Republican primary voting bloc in America, the base, uh, absolutely is on board with this. And I think that it's so important that Trump wins again in 2024 to reify all the gains that we've made shifting the party away from a party of the GOP elites and the globalists back to a populist, conservative, nationalist party. And Trump embodies that. And again, I think those are values that we can and should embrace as a Christian. Biden says he's Catholic, but everything he does is in contradiction to key tenets of the Catholic faith with push for transgenderism, abortion on demand up through nine months, the targeting and harassment of Christians through you know state power that we've seen at home. So, I mean, it's a, it's a no-brainer to me. I realize it's not for everybody, but that's why I'm doing what I do. With Donald Trump following through on his promises with the Supreme Court during the course of his first administration and the eventual overturning of, of Dobbs and Roe v. Wade, what is it now that we should be segueing to uh, as a nation and policy-driven heading into the next election cycle that could separate somebody like Donald Trump from the rest of the field? Yeah, I mean, I think that Trump needs to continue to, uh, you know, express strong support for conservative, you know, originalist judges, because I think if he's in in 2024, we'll have a chance to appoint somebody else and, and, and cement the the new sort of the new voting block on the Supreme Court. I mean, personally, I think that I would like to see, you know, very strong support for continuing pro-life policies. And as he has, as he's spoken about, we need, he needs to really be strong and has been strong in rolling back this evil transgender agenda that is preying on our children in our nation. And I mean, the other day, obviously, after seeing Sound of Freedom, which was excellent, I'm glad that he went to that showing, he came out and he said, if you're a pedophile, I'm going to promote the death sentence. And that's exactly the kind of moral teaching that we need to be hearing from you know, the highest office in the land. No, it certainly is. It seems like he's definitely polishing a lot of those, you know, uh, things that he tried to advance throughout the course of the first Trump administration. Maybe he was kind of probing how they would be, uh, you know, met by the public and, and the administrative state. And I think now with Agenda 47, he's rolling the stuff out and he's saying, if you're going to fight me on this, you're going to have to fight me from behind because I'm going to be out in front of it. I think it's uh, a great way that he's kind of rolled everything out. And William, as you're seeing this 2024 GOP primary kind of unfold, it's it's been, you know, relatively boring for you know everybody here in America first obviously we would love Donald Trump to get into the mud and sling it with a couple of these candidates but when you just look at the popularity and non-referendum that the 2020 presidential election was on him getting almost 75 million votes in his re-election bid uh it, it was almost a no-brainer to think that he was going to be the GOP nominee and then when you look at the people that actually have declared so far there there's no real contenders in that field yeah, I mean, it does. It doesn't look like there is, right? I mean, and I've been I've been saying this to people for years now that the the primary basis is. I think Trump has it locked up after Super Tuesday, no question about it, if not before. And and that just I think it is a reflection on how he has won the hearts and the minds of of voters all across America, not just Republican voters. There are a lot of folks out there who came to Trump who were previously Democrat voters again because of his America First policies. So if he keeps running on that, I, I don't think anybody can catch him. 
No, neither do I. And when you look at some of the numbers that have come out just this morning where he's showing like four and six point leads in respective polls in the general election against Joe Biden, uh, just as Joe Biden's scandal is about to heat up. I mean, he's been so protected for the entirety of his administration since he's taken over from President Trump. It's almost impossible to think how his poll numbers, which are already, you know, at all time lows in popularity and favorableness, you know, when it comes to the economy, which way the direction the country's heading, et cetera, are going to hit Joe Biden when, uh, you know, the House Republicans finally get into, you know, possible impeachment hearings, as we've already heard on the show today. Well, one other thing I want to touch with you on, I think it's a great, you kind of put it into really good perspective the other day. I saw that tweet you put out that went viral. Uh, it's kind of like a microcosm for the way the country is right now. Donald Trump always puts it as this, this nation is currently in decline. He even references it as saying it's going to hell sometimes. You talked about grocery stores and how much different they are compared to when you were a kid. And I think when I read the tweet and just thought about it, I went back to, you know, the Jersey Shore when I grew up and what it was like in the grocery store. All our moms knew the people in every department's names. They had, you know, give me the regular, it'd be the meats or the bread or whatever. When you take a look at that, kind of explain to our listenership, I know you said it was a quick tweet that took very little thought, but when you kind of deconstruct the whole thing, it's almost a perfect analogy for the shape of the country right now. Let, let us hear what, what, what's going on there. Yeah, I think that, you know, I, I ran into Kroger the other night to, to grab some steaks and coffee, and it was just a disaster of an experience. And, you know, I, I, I did, I shop, shopped my entire life. I worked at a grocery store for two summers at a Harris Teeter uh, back in the, you know, the like 20, 2009, 2010. And I think that, you know, grocery shopping is such a part of our life in America that when you see, you know, when you see like the jacked up prices, the empty shelves, the dirty stores, even sort of the, the personnel and the approach to people, this is what it teaches us. It teaches us that we no longer live in a high trust society, that we've degraded into a low trust society. And that's even more evident, obviously, in major metropolitan areas. And it does, I think, speak to this malaise and decline on America, which is why when Trump came out and said he wants to make America great again, that spoke to so many people. Obviously, we're still living in a post-COVID age, and we need to get over that, and we need to we need to have a reset in a good way, not in a WEF great reset sort of way. Right. And I, I think that the economic policies, I mean, people forget how good life was under President Trump. For everybody in this country, whether you voted for him or not, you benefited from his policies from an economic perspective. And again, that comes from an American first angle of trying to put our people first, negotiate trade deals that benefit the middle class instead of just the 1% of the global economy and the elites. And so, yeah, I think that, you know, I think if we get Trump back in again, we will see a resurgence of trust in society, of, of clean and friendly operations. I had a chance to visit Hungary uh, and go over to CPAC Hungary in May. And I was just struck by clean streets, moms pushing strollers friendly stocked shelves and, and people at their like the local businesses. And I think I truly believe we can get back to that in America if we have the right leadership. When you, you know, there's a lot of people who have mentioned uh, the CPACs all over the world, especially CPAC Hungary. We've had a couple people who have come through the show that went and participated in that as well. When you talk about countries across the world who just take a little bit more mind to crack down on crime, work on homelessness and drug addiction and lower the rate of immigration it makes a world of difference it makes for cleaner communities it makes for better schools it improves the overall health care system and wellness of the community and i think you nailed it right on the head there william it has been awesome sitting down with you uh today on the show we are of course going to be hopeful that you will come back at some point in the future we're going to live link whatever our listenership can follow you on in the show description today what do you got 
Yeah, please, uh, please follow me on Twitter primarily. And I also rolled out trying to take advantage of the options uh, Musk is providing with a subscription option. So I'd be very grateful for the support via that. But check me out on Twitter. That's the main place I'm engaging in the public square right now. Already looking forward to sitting down with him next time. This is a former senior official in the Trump administration. Mr. William Wolf, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thanks for having me, guys. And today, new polls from Fox Business lay out where the GOP race for the White House stands in two key states. So let's get straight to it. First to Iowa and the first in the nation caucuses. In a survey of Iowa Republicans, former President Trump leads by 30 points among likely caucus goers, followed by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis at 16 percent and South Carolina Senator Tim Scott at 11 percent. And in South Carolina, the former president leads by more than 30 points with the state's former governor at 14 percent. Haley. Governor DeSantis at 13% and the state's current Senator Tim Scott at 10%. Of course, a lot can happen between now and the debates and certainly between now and the first primary contest of uh, 24. Well, I'm sure Fox News is very coping and seething mm. announcing those polls that came out over the course of the weekend. You know, there's somebody in the back room just like punching himself in the testicles as hard <laughs> as he can. Ugh. Yeah, Miss Bream didn't see too happy uh, reading them off, but listen, to see Ron DeSantis finally falling to third place in South Carolina, I mean, I know we've all been expecting it. We've been making fun of it online forever. But to see it finally happen in this early, it's kind of eyebrow-raising, to say the yeah. least. Yeah, definitely. And that poll was uh, had Donald Trump winning by over 30 points. It had Nikki Haley, former governor of South Carolina, at 14 points. Ron DeSantis at 13, and then Tim Scott, shooting up to 10%. So as Haley and Scott continue to divide best of the rest votes, it doesn't look like they're coming at Donald Trump. It looks like they're coming off of Ron DeSantis's point total there. And uh, we all know that's a first five primary state um, with New Hampshire and obviously the Iowa caucuses. So yeah, it was a pretty good start to the weekend poll wise for Donald Trump. And then when you talk about another poll, Fox Business put out a poll same day. It was on Maria's show earlier, and it says in South Carolina, 72% say electability to beat Biden is extremely important, and 51% of primary voters think Trump is the most electable Republican running, and that's 51% against the entire field. He's delectable, too. Mm. <laughs> the national primary polls from over the weekend showed Donald Trump at 52%, Ron DeSantis at 12 Vivek at 10 Pence, Haley, Scott, Christie, and Burgum all racking up seven points or less. Seven? Yeah. What? <laughs> wow. Well, that's somebody's. That's, 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 a, that's a lucky number. Yep. So with Vivek Ramaswamy. Oh. Mm. <laughs> so with Vivek. You're not going to do it again? No. One more time? Oh. Thank you. Tying around DeSantis in one poll and Nikki Haley beating Ron DeSantis is another. Obviously, it's in her home state. It's the only place she's probably going to do well. Obviously, she's not going to beat President Trump. A lot of questions have come up recently about Vivek and his rise to prominence within the Republican Party. Kind of, you know, this cycle's outsider. I've called him a... I've segued from being a gag gift to a breath of fresh air. But uh, obviously, when it comes down to the nitty-gritty, you really can't talk about anything that he's going to do to defeat Donald Trump because it seems like the lead right now is insurmountable. He sat down on a podcast with Jack Posobiec recently and was talking about some of the issues that people have brought up regarding his backstory. One of them is that how he is funded by the World Economic Forum or is a student 
of Davos and, and maybe Klaus Schwab. Those are all red flags for me, yeah. just FYI. Yeah. And those come as the mainstream media, like I said, is already starting to demonize part of his personal background, which includes his culture, that is Hinduism, and the fact that he's a vegan. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's good to kind of hear those questions and how he answered. So we're going to go ahead and play a couple of them right now. Let's check it out. Are you a World Economic Forum plant? Is George Soros running your campaign? Where are the rat lines? Where are the strings? So I will say that I'm running for U.S. president. People should ask the hard questions. I'm going to be transparent at every step. World Economic Forum, what is my relationship with them? Answer, none. Absolutely none other than being probably their top critic in the United States. Read the two books I've written. Look at the company Strive that I started to compete against their ESG agenda. Why are people asking the question, though, Jack? It's because they bizarrely listed me on their list of young global leaders, this prestigious award they give to young billionaires and otherwise. I rejected the award. I repeatedly rejected it. And then a few months later, my name still pops up on their website. Turns out they've done the same thing to Elon Musk, to Glenn Beck, to others. But anyway, in my case, I don't believe in standing by. I respectfully asked them to take it down. When they did not comply, I sued them. I believe in taking action. Ooh. And I think I'm the only person who has actually sued the World Economic Forum. And I expect just on the hard facts of it, we're going to be successful and demand that they make a hard commitment that they never do this to somebody else again. That's the World Economic Forum. You want me to hit Soros as well? Yes. Absolutely. Please. Yeah. So another FAQ that has popped up, you brought it up as well, is what is my relationship with George Soros? Very clear answer. None. Zero direct or indirect relationship other than being one of the bigger critics in this country of the disastrous policies that he's been funding over the last decade, especially after 2016. Why are people asking the question? There was a separate scholarship that I won at the age of 24, 25, when I was going to law school in my mid-20s, in my early 20s, when I didn't have the money and it was a merit scholarship that hundreds of kids win that was partially funded, not by George Soros, but by Paul Soros, a relative, his brother, who, by the way, is now long dead, who, by the way, had, this is long before George Soros completely went off the deep end and really went toxic in the last decade. And to be perfectly honest with you, I would have had to be a fool to turn down that scholarship at the age of 24. Anyone that foolish, I think, should step nowhere near the White House doing trade deals on behalf of this country either. But I believe in standing for the truth. People are asking the questions. I believe in being transparent. And so that's the long and the short of that one. All right. What do you guys think here in those answers? This I like I like those answers. Mm -hmm. yeah, no, me too. I was actually I'm shocked. He answered that pretty damn good. I wish he would have expounded upon the suing the world economic forum yeah. what was the i mean what was the disposition other than other than they took down his name or right. did he get some money out of him Interesting. did he get a, a timeshare at davos mm -hmm. <laughs> well you know this has become the case with a lot of congress people and, and representatives in the united states now there are the ones who are weft tied that go and attend the events i mean we saw brian kemp uh, most notably at the last one we're not on the as a young global leaders, are we? I think us, along with <laughs> President Trump, are, are definitely not on that list of young global leaders. I don't think Jack Posobiec finds himself on that list either. But, you know, it, you have to take into context the fact that, you know, this organization 
can just take people's names that they see are rising stars and maybe in an attempt to lure them into some kind of a relationship down the road, post the names and, like they say, give awards to these people as, like, a young global leader that's being recognized by this organization. I think that explanation kind of makes sense. What do you guys think? No, totally. I agree. I mean, there's some people on there that it, if this would be an ex- explanation for my surprise with seeing them on there, that makes me feel a little bit better about it. But at the same time, it's like you should have to have accepted the award and or acknowledge your affiliation with them to be on their website, which, which is, I think is what Revex. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's still questionable. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, so I don't know. Which but is, at least he answered it the way he did. Yeah, I think his answer of deny and then uh, disavow and say that he followed it up legally uh, with the intent to make it so they don't do it to anybody else. It's a solid forward. answer. Certainly is, which wasn't such a solid answer, was the one he gave on a different podcast Oop. in regards mm-hmm. to uh, the Trump effect on the country and how he's kind of ran to a little bit of the right of the 45th president on a couple of different policies. Let's hear this one. understand with all the data the past the present and probably who knows every every incremental day we see something new what is the full 360 degree view that vivek ramaswamy has of donald trump full 360 degree view got it yeah i actually haven't had a space to articulate this yet so i i think this i think this is useful so my view is that he was a successful president measured by reviving the economy Successful president, period. How, why do I say that? Reviving the economy, growing the American economy. I think that recognizing and speaking to and partially addressing concerns that had been historically unaddressed by both, both major political parties. We did not enter a major war. We were on the brink of major conflict with North Korea on the precipice in other parts of the world. ISIS was a thing. It is, you know, by, it exists, but it's by and large not the same threat that it was after his presidency as it was when he took over. These are major accomplishments, right? I think the immigration crisis, I, I think, is far worse today, precisely because Biden's in office and not Trump. So I believe he was a successful president. Mm. That's view number one. View number two, he has an effect on people. About 30% of this country that I think becomes psychiatrically ill when he is the U.S. president. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's just a fact, right? <laughs> Agreeing with things that they otherwise wouldn't have agreed with because that thirty percent number applies on our pod too. One in four. <laughs> Keep going. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that I, I think it's just it's just the reality is people lose their ability to process information. People lose the ability to think independently. It's like a demonic possession that happens <laughs> in this country of about as best I can tell about thirty percent of the country, and I think that's not good for the country. And, and we can debate who's to blame for that or whatever, but I'm just stating it an observation that I feel pretty strongly about. How do you guys take that answer? I mean, he just mentioned Trump derangement syndrome. Mm-hmm. Right. And the fact that he was success- successful. Success- yeah. yeah. Successful president. I, I mean, mean, what was it? What was there a negative I, there? I, I don't really. Yeah. Did I miss something? Cause I'm, well, he, I'm, he is pretty true. He's running the race against Donald Trump as a candidate. And I think what he's saying is, is that, demonic possession that he's referred to it as is the plausible solution that he brings to a ticket. Like there's no Ramaswamy derangement syndrome yet. Oh, that, that was the the whole premise of his comment was that people aren't going to be psychologically affected if he wins. Mm -hmm. 
Well, basically, he's, like, that, I mean, he's be, not wrong. No, he's not. But that's the only thing. If like, that's his only positive, then. Right. <laughs> Vagina. <laughs> I mean, what else can he say, though? It, it's hard. <laughs> you can't even. So difficult. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's not throwing mud. No, he's and I don't truth. think he wants to because he's kind of scared. And, and he's already. No, he's trying to. He's trying to run a more. Yeah, a professional you know. diplomatic kind of uh, kind of race, and which he, I like. He has shut down talks of VP, which I don't think he's in the running. He's talked down uh, people asking him about being a next administration official if Donald Trump wins the presidency, which I could see him participating in. But he's he's just shut it down. He said no. Smart thing to do. I'm running my own race right now. I'm running to be president of the United States. I'm not running to lose. It always change though. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean um, it's not like he said under no condition will I ever accept. You know exactly. Or did he say that? Gay influencer Dave Rubin <laughs> went on Big Hit Charlie Kirk's <laughs> podcast yesterday and cried for about 20 minutes about how the whole system is rigged against Ron DeSantis, which we're going to segue to right oh, now, God. and He's... said that Donald Trump and Vivek are coordinating, their camps are coordinating <laughs> with each other to stop Ron from running a campaign that's completely under his own control, so his popularity has to do with other people and not himself. If by... Running God, in concert to thwart his campaign, they mean both of them running solid campaigns that will thwart his campaign. Then yes, I guess that is true. Here's the one thing I mean, about he's thwarting himself at this point. I think we could all agree with boredom. Vivek is likable. Yeah, as a person, I like him definitely, yeah. and I could totally see him working in the administration. You know, I listen. <laughs> I listened to his uh, what was it? The members only content or mm-hmm. or whatever on Tim Pool. It was a good one. Yeah. So answered a lot of the questions that we wouldn't have to answer when he uh, comes on the show with us, hopefully very soon. And I'm not a member, just for some reason it was on iTunes. They, I guess they, they, they drop some bonus crumbs in the uh, yeah. downloadable platforms every once in a while to make sure people, if they like it, they'll go and subscribe. But, uh, you know, as we're walking through the GOP primary roundup from over the weekend and getting this week started. So one of the biggest things from those polls that came out is that a lot of people are speculating now and, and pretty much we can confirm that Ron DeSantis's campaign, which is heading into its fourth or fifth reboot, I'm not sure. I do know for certain the 12 campaign staffers who were fired recently has ballooned to 38 as of today. Yikes. Mm-hmm. And they are hemorrhaging money using private jets, personal credit cards, and personal credit cards yeah they're using personal credit cards and using campaign finances to pay themselves back pay themselves back and that, that sounds like money laundering that came after some great investigation <laughs> oh maybe they're trying to get the miles investigative oh, that's a good point yeah. that's actually true i know people that have done shit like that yeah. or miles and points and stuff laura loomer has been dropping a lot of stuff on that so if you're interested in, in seeing the receipts that she's got which she does have especially from the Utah retreat that they had. And that's another thing we need to talk about before we jump into just how bad Ron DeSantis is doing. What if, what if uh, after all this presidential uh, run failure uh, ha- finally happens when he just has to bow out? What if the Fast and Furious franchise offers him a cameo <laughs> appearance as Dom DeSantis? Mm. <laughs> it is all about family. It, it's all about family. Well, I, don't, I don't know if he's qualified for that because... <laughs> According to reports coming across the wire today, Ron DeSantis's motorcade in Tennessee heading between campaign events was involved in a minor non-injury car accident. 
when the lead car stopped short and started a progression domino effect of all the other cars <laughs> rear-ending each other. They rear-ended themselves. Lord, that's, really? That's pretty they much... Drive either. It's a great like, way to describe the So you're job. saying that his motorcade didn't jump onto a moving train or anything like that? No, that's that the DeSantis <laughs> campaign has been traveling along at recently. But, you, you know, you're asking about these plans and what happens when they fail. So America last senator... Enjoyer of hot dogs. I know mm. everybody saw the creepy viral video that he put out last week. Mittens, Mitt Romney, has a plan to disrupt the apparent inevitability of Donald Trump locking up the GOP presidential nomination. Mitt Romney is calling for donors and influencers to get candidates to drop out by late February. And, um, yeah. Wait, re- what? Reading this article that came out in Politico yesterday. Is he is he offering to just not ever eat a hot dog in front of a camera for well, if they do it or what? Well, donors mm-hmm. who are backing someone now with a slim chance of winning should seek a commitment from the candidate to drop out and endorse the person with the best chance of defeating Donald Trump by no later than February 26th, according to Mitt Romney, who wrote in a Wall Street Journal op-ed. He's just putting it out there himself. This isn't from the office of Mitt Romney. This isn't like Mitch McConnell backed. He just fucking wrote it up. He's like, we could still figure out a plan to beat this guy once he's beaten everyone by all rallying around the first loser in the race. Sounds desperate there. Yep. That doesn't sound like, well, a first world country kind of thing. No. It goes on to say that Romney's ultimatum, not directed at the candidates themselves, but is pointed at current South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, lays out the parameters for candidates making a decision. Friends, family, and campaign donors are the only people who can get a lost cause candidate to exit the race. So after February 26th, they should start doing that. They should also uh, focus on the donors who think the party leaders can narrow the field. Not so. Candidates don't listen to party officials because voters don't listen to them either. And he also said that don't listen to campaign staff and consultants. They just want to get paid, Romney warns, and they want to keep their jobs for as long as possible. He makes it clear that the consequences of not heeding his advice leads to an eventual Donald Trump nomination and possible presidency. It's in Politico right now. Wow. Yeah, came out yesterday. So everybody's basically agreeing that Donald Trump has it in the bag, and the only way to stop him from, well, (laughs) picking up the bag and walking into the White House with it, that great, big, beautiful White House. Maybe you've heard of it. Is to, what, sabotage donors? Yeah, yeah. It, it's basically to get everybody to drop out and consolidate everybody's delegates into one candidate and hope that that candidate in a head-to-head matchup is enough to take down Donald Trump on the campaign trail, on the debate stage, and eventually at the ballot box. So funny. I mean, it's basically what Noah just said. You know, they're basically admitting Trump's got this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything people have said, it's just like, well, it's just really unfortunate that Trump could actually win. <laughs> And then we're just like, yeah, that's super unfortunate. No, so I, bad. I, I, I can't I, imagine, you know, the state of the country would be in if he'd have won originally. I sent you a tweet this weekend. I hope you watched the video. And it was gotten so bad for Ron DeSantis on the campaign trail. Are you saying you X'd me? When he <laughs>, laughs, he stops himself mid-laughs when he knows the camera's on. Oh, because he doesn't want to have any more video of him awkwardly laughing, looking like and when you watch the video, he goes into one of his big head bobbling laughs. And then as soon as he oh, like no. catches himself, he goes, it's like the Kanye one where Kanye's laughing and then goes to the mean face. Yeah. Ron DeSantis did that at a campaign <laughs> event in Utah this weekend. Oh, that's too funny. Yeah. It's, it's, it's bad. Like, were people making fun of him for laughing? I mean, I tweeted. They should make the Drake meme out of those, those uh, 
stills from that. Yeah. Well, I tweeted, you know, that he can't even laugh at campaign events anymore because he knows he's going to get memed into oblivion and it took (laughs) off a couple hundred thousand views. Let's hear Fox News talking about the disastrous DeSantis campaign right now. Yet DeSantis having trouble. Why? Uh, He just failure to launch. He he really just never got out of the gate. Uh, I think he had that huge lead, a lot of momentum right after the election. But then he had to sit and wait for eight months before he could announce for a variety of reasons. He lost that momentum, has never been able to gain it back. And when you look at the polls right now, there is only one candidate, aside from Donald Trump, obviously, who's moving upward in the polls. And that is Vivek Ramaswamy. Now, uphill climb. I mean, he's still around 10%. Mm-hmm. That's still a long way to go, but he is growing. How do you see it, Scott? Um, I would be, I dare say, not to disagree with you. I will f- offer you some friendly amendments. I think DeSantis's campaign is focusing on these state issues like Disney, like uh, this investment piece that came out last week, and those aren't national issues. If you want to run for president, you have to run on, pre- you have to look presidential, you have to connect with voters and talk about national issues. He's failed to do that. Mm-hmm. I think on top of what you said, those are challenges as well. This whole issue of re-engineering or starting old over, well, this is the big time. You, you didn't, there's no room to start over if you're six months out and you had a launch, you had a lot of money. But his biggest threat right now is because he's a flail, it's a flailing campaign is losing his big donors because he doesn't have any small donors. This isn't a movement with him. So he's just not connecting with the voters. And if he loses the big money contributors, then uh, you're going to see other people move up to that 20 percent because he can't stay in. And, just- and, and, you know, there's a lot of people speculating that because... Glenn Youngkin won't get in the race. He sees the writing on the wall. He doesn't want to hurt his image ahead of the 2028 presidential election, where I feel like he is going to run and probably will be a formidable contender in that race. It looks like the establishment now and that international billionaire donor class and the corporate media moguls are looking to reinvest their money maybe as the DeSantis camp continues to flail and flounder into possibly South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, which... Ugh. He's like a yeah. America last dark horse for the VP race as well, which I completely don't want to see. I mean, there's a lot of people who make a legitimate case for it just based off of logistical items related to Senator Scott, but he is the last person. I mean, he's like, I don't know, just another Mike Pence, if you, if you ask right. me. So it's interesting to see, though, how the commentary is kind of shaking out. The Fox News, which was so defensive of Ron DeSantis, where he was getting on. It, it's funny. I can't stand this bitch, Tommy Lauren, who's just an, an um, yeah, absolutely. She's just a gargoyle. Who's like she's like the Fox News version of the Daily Wire. She has taken up Ron DeSantis's speaking spots on Fox News, where on every single show on every single Fox network they bring her in for ten minutes to give commentary on things. She's one hundred percent unqualified to talk about. She's not a lawyer. She's not a consultant. She's like a TikTok person who does conservative politics, and they bring on this made-up, annoying, like Barbie-looking figure. And oh God, I'm just, yeah, it's Tommy Laren. Yeah, she used to be way back in the day when she first started, but she has absolute. For me, she's not qualified at all. No, the whole panel is like sixty-year-old men, and then they bring her in here to be like, "Hey, now I just want to talk about how good Ron DeSantis is doing." I'm just like, oh yeah, God. with her voice, it's too much, and it's on every show. So. Wow. Let's talk some other polls that came out today. But before we get into them, I want to remind everybody, no matter where you're listening to the podcast today and whatever downloadable podcasting platform it's on, make sure you're subscribed to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. Helps us out in the algorithms, pushes the numbers, 
helps us out in every way, shape, or form. And then social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find our official accounts, hit the follow button, and the notification bell. So we got one out this morning, 2024 Republican National Primary. Donald Trump sits at 59%, Ron DeSantis 16, Vivek 8, Pence 6, Haley 4, Scott 2. Um, let's see what else do we got. I think that's it for polling. I lied, I got one more. 2024 presidential election poll. This one's from Interactive Polls and The Messenger. Trump 46% head-to-head with Biden, who sits at 42. Independence, Trump 42%. Joe Biden at 34. Pretty interesting. A lot of those numbers that Richard Barris and Mark Mitchell of Rasmussen Polling have talked about over the course of the last couple of months as the primary field is taking shape are now starting to come to fruition in the form of poll numbers for Donald Trump. And one of the excerpts from that poll I just read, Trump has an 88% support within the Republican Party, while Joe Biden has the support of 84% of Democrats. I don't believe that number. No, not at all. I do not believe that one. Independent voters back Trump 42 to 34%, while 24% said they don't know who they'll support yet. So, hmm. yeah, it's pretty interesting to see. There was another poll out today, uh, political polls, national general election, Donald Trump 46, Joe Biden 42. That's head-to-head from Harris, uh, Harvard Harris. And speaking of Ron DeSantis, Donald Trump put out a little true social post this morning. I think we should touch on this. Uh, have you guys heard about unholy alliances? Mm-mm. Well, you're, you're going to be absolutely shocked to hear this one. From its inception, the DeSantis campaign was doomed. Beginning with a total failure to launch, Ron DeSantis has warmly embraced the establishment rhinos, never Trumpers, and desperate millions of dollars to promote his candidacy. Ron finds a way to fall to all-time new lows in every coming poll. Now, amid yet another failed reboot, DeSantis and his establishment handlers have resorted to directly parroting the talking point of the radical leftists. Mm. While Ron DeSanctimonious was most recently summoned before donors to explain his failing campaign, his top lieutenants admitted to lighting donor money on fire. That's the planes, trains, and lots of Chick-fil-A. As the DeSantis campaign continues to utterly collapse, Ron has shown he's willing to take the side of deranged Marxist prosecutors and the radical left for any shot at stopping the nose dive that has left him in third place heading only one place, <laughs> south. Pretty interesting to see the DeSantis online influencers uh, getting hyped up for Donald Trump to get in, indicted again, and that's why the title of that Truth Social post was Unholy Alliance, DeSantis Campaign Colluding with Biden's Weaponized DOJ to Stop President Trump and the MAGA Movement. Definitely not going to work. Nope. He also put out one of his uh, absolute heaters on Ron DeSantis. And I think, well, even though they're short, we all like to laugh at them. So as we're getting ready to wrap here and jump in with Josh Hammer to talk about the 2024 GOP primary, let's hear President Trump weighing in on Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSanctimonious now. (laughs) They won't like him any better six months from now with the start of primary season. The more people get to know him, the lower his polls are going. He's now in the mid-teens and falling fast. He will soon not be number two. Looks like it won't happen much longer, but uh, he deserves it because he's a very disloyal person. Make America great again. Thank you very much. (laughs) Okay, I'm I'm 100% convinced that he just does those ad lib. Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, there's, like, they don't even tell him what to say. He's like, just the way he says it right there. Get the camera. Yeah. Larry, get the camera. Let's make some more Ron videos. 
<laughs> and you know it's a first take. All right, that's good enough. Get out. <laughs> so where things should be looking great for the 45th president, they're definitely looking good, obviously with the looming shadow of the next indictment over his head. Uh, obviously, the one coming down in Georgia, you have the one for the special counsel on January 6th. We're going to continue to track that as we do all things within the primary race here. We're getting ready to jump in with Josh Hammer. But before we do, let's hear from one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is handpicked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. The cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you get a promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100 Free shipping and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com. That's MyPatriotCigars.com. A premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's the senior editor-at-large over at Newsweek. He's a syndicated columnist, and he's the host of a podcast that bears his name. Mr. Josh Hammer, thanks again for joining us on the show. You bet, guys. Thanks for having me. Josh, it's always a pleasure to host you. We always love to hear about all the stuff that's going on. What have you been working on recently that you could uh, get our listenership all caught up on? Well, I was just off for like eight days, so I, I most recently have not necessarily been working on anything, but I, I, you know, always have some some irons in the fire. You know, right now I'm just kind of working on my column, you know, week in and week out. I most recently wrote about the pushback against DEI, which has actually really accelerated in the aftermath of the Supreme Court decision in affirmative action, the Students for Fair Emissions case. Actually, some fairly rare white pills. I mean, I think like many, you know, I tend to be a little more dour i mean i would say sober but i think many people would say dour pessimistic when it comes to kind of the state of of american culture but there really has been some cause for optimism some white pills if you kind of look at what is happening in the dei universe so i i paid a lot of attention to what happened way back in march at stanford law school with the whole horrific shout down of fifth circuit judge kyle duncan and the DEI dean who found herself at the center of that, who basically sided with the students against the judge, she was a woman by the name of Tyrion Steinbach. She, she quote unquote, resigned last week. I mean, a.k.a. she was politely or not so politely asked to leave. So that's a really nice scalp, I think, for the side of civilizational sure. sanity against the wokesters. I mean, it happened four months too late, but better late than never. And then two other developments in the DEI space that I thought were also worth flagging was there was this excellent recent letter by 13 Republican state attorneys general. It was led by Tennessee and Kansas, and they sent this letter to the CEOs of all the Fortune 100 companies, basically saying that, especially in the aftermath of the affirmative action case, if your DEI departments are openly discriminating on the basis of race, we, we are going to sue you. We are going to investigate and we are going to sue you. And then a very similar letter was sent from Senator Tom Cotton to 51 of the world's largest law firms, making the exact same point, basically saying that you would be negligent. You law firm will be negligent if you are not providing legal advice to your clients, saying that DEI departments are effectively illegal. So I'm starting to be a little more white-pilled about that. But, you know, other than that, just kind of working on the show, the podcast, and all is good. Thank God. The podcast is great. Guests are always great on your show as well. So is the commentary. We always live link that in our show description as well, and we'll do the same today. Now, Josh, in in a time when the world seems to be trending way towards the radical left's progressive movement, obviously DEI is, is at the centerpiece of that, things like critical race theory here in the United States, uh, garbage like the 1619 Project and stuff like that. I mean, I even saw yesterday during the White House press pool uh you know somebody asked Karine jean pierre something along the lines of this and and they basically said that you know when the supreme court rules in a way that 
the current administration, which is a very progressive one right now with the Biden administration, feels is unconstitutional. They're going to use their own interpretation of that ruling to make decisions, uh, you know, uh, the way they want to do it. So basically saying like they could circumvent the Supreme Court and just completely ignore them. Obviously, this would lead to a lot more uh, cases going to court uh, from the way I see it. But someone who's a little bit more proficient in, in, in the legal standing, what do you think? I mean, I think they were talking about uh, stuff having to do with the student loan repayments, but it all kind of encompasses if the Supreme Court makes a decision, if the administration doesn't agree with it, then they're just going to do whatever they want. So this is really funny to me. This is really funny to me for numerous reasons. One is that if you go back to the Obama administration and the same-sex marriage cases in particular, the Windsor case 2013 and then the Obergefell case of 2015, which was the case that declared same-sex marriage to be a 14th Amendment constitutional right. If you go back then, the rhetoric that the Obama administration and basically all leading Democrats said was that this is now the law of the land. And how dare you racist, sexist, bigot, homophobe? How dare you doubt that you shall obey a five, four majority, a black robed Oracle majority of the U.S. Supreme Court? They did this over and over and over again. What has changed from the 2015 Obergefell case to 2022, where we overturned Roe versus Wade in 2023, where, where we overturned affirmative action, among other things? Well, the composition of the court has changed. That is literally the only thing whatsoever that has changed. There was a, 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 a you know, I, I guess I would call it a liberal majority back then, or at least Anthony Kennedy was a swing vote. It was a yep. very closely divided court. Now it's a now it's a six three center right court. It's not a far right court, but it's a, but it's a but it's a center right court for sure. That's literally the only thing that has changed. And of course, you've seen this diametrical opposition, one hundred eighty degree flip from the judicial supremacist rhetoric of law of the land. You shall obey back then, and now they're saying, oh, you know, we might abide, we might not. Now, interestingly, some of us have actually been consistent on this issue over the years. And I actually, I, I've written, you know, I'm a lawyer by background, obviously. I've written a couple of pieces of actual formal legal scholarship. The very first piece I wrote was on this exact topic, on the myth of judicial supremacy. And I argue that Abraham Lincoln had it right, actually, where he famously said after the Dred Scott decision of 1857 that he would abide by that ruling as it pertained to the actual parties. So Dred Scott, the slave being there, but because it was erroneously decided and was an, an abhorrent principle, he would not extend it any further than the parties to the lawsuit. So put another way. I, I actually am willing to say that I I agree with the with the overarching principle that everyone who swears an oath to defend the Constitution ha takes an oath to defend the Constitution as he or she interprets it, not as a bare majority of the Supreme Court interprets it, because the court can get it as wrong as anyone else can. Sure. Now, having ha having said that, having said that. The, you know, as a basic matter of prudence, you shouldn't go about just flouting Supreme Court cases willy nilly. This is obviously flirting with fire. You have to be very, very delicate and careful about how you go about doing this. So at a level of principle, they're not necessarily wrong, but they're wildly, wildly hypocritical going back eight years. And I certainly do not think that they have the virtue of prudence going for them in terms of how they plan to carry this out. No, I mean, you know, they make statements like that all the time. I thought it was just interesting. And, and obviously the the information that they were using came from a piece that some radical Harvard professor uh, wrote up saying that, like, you know, the Supreme Court's cool, but does it really matter? And that, that I'm paraphrasing their statement. But when, when you hear them say stuff like that, it's just absolutely ridiculous the way that they uh, kind of have 
laid out the way that they're going to adhere or not so much to, uh, you know, they, they say we're coming after them when the affirmative action uh, ruling came down. Obviously, the ruling with the student loan debt, they, they still went ahead and, and forgave billions of it anyways, which I'm sure will wind up in, in the Supreme Court again as well. So, you know, it, it's one of those things where you just have to kind of see the way that it's unfolding and then you fall back on, on more of the legal so- scholars like yourself uh, to kind of get a little commentary on, which makes it great. So, Josh, I want to segue a little bit. Obviously, we just got done talking about the GOP primary race for 2024. Uh, Some new poll numbers coming out today uh, showing Donald Trump remains in first place. Ron DeSantis, uh, who is clearly the second place candidate, has run into a little bit of uh, stagnant flow right now as as the primary is kind of unfolding. You saw one poll come out last week where he was tied with Vivek Ramaswamy and then the South Carolina poll that came out over the weekend that showed Nikki Haley besting him by one point. Obviously, those are one poll and, and doesn't kind of give an overlying whatever of the entire race here, but, you know, how do you see this thing kind of unfolding right now as, as you're watching it heading into August? Well, the one poll that had Vivek uh, either tied with DeSantis or ahead of him, I, I, I actually looked at the cross tabs on that poll. That struck me as, as not a particularly well done poll based on my admittedly non-expertise when it comes to polling, but I've, I've read enough polls over the years to kind of have a sense as to what kind of sample size you should be looking for. So that particular one, I would not put a whole lot of stock in. Obviously, the trajectory of the race very strongly favors the former president right now. The the DeSantis campaign very clearly has not gone as well as many of its supporters, including myself, would have liked it to have gone these first two months. There's obviously no shame in just calling it like it is. You know, I, and uh, look, it is ultimately still early. There's a lot of time to potentially turn around. We will see what happens at the first debate. I think it's still an open question as to whether Trump goes to that debate or not. Um, you know, I, I could see arguments either way as to whether DeSantis should want Trump on the debate stage. Yeah, I, as a DeSantis supporter, I personally would like to see them both go there, just duke it out. Let's kind of have that big battle royale that everyone's been waiting for for months and months now. But look, Trump is Trump is obviously the the unmitigated favor now. And, you know, in retrospect, I think a lot of the blows that he was landing for many months before DeSantis was announced as a, as a candidate seemed to have really actually taken their toll. And, you know, one strategy that I think uh, DeSantis supporters might have tried to do in retrospect that they did not do was try to emulate what George W. Bush did in 2000. I'm not talking about his policies, but just his campaign structure. So what George W. Bush did in 2000 was he also had a legislative session. He also did not make his formal announcement until after the legislative session was over. But what he had was an exploratory committee that was that was established for basically the express purpose of pushing a narrative or to push back against competing and or false narratives that were levied against him. So that probably would have been a good idea for the DeSantis uh, campaign supporters, whatever you want to call the the whole operation to kind of get that whole thing into gear. But look, I mean, you know, I'm seeing the same polls that you guys are seeing. Um, We'll see what happens in Iowa. Trump has obviously taken some kind of bizarre shots at Kim Reynolds there that hasn't affected the polling a ton yet. But I guess we'll see. It's obviously still quite early as well. Now, that that's an excellent point you make regarding Kim Reynolds. I I just want to ask you, Josh, and this is 100 percent opinionative. Did you think going into this? And I mean, we, we have to remember Donald Trump in 2020 received the most votes for a Republican candidate in the history of, of the presidential elections at 74 million votes. When you see him take shots at people like Kim Reynolds or, or comes out with a surprise, he hits this congressman, he hits this senator, uh, he'll go after a governor and who he maybe doesn't feel what, you know, 
that they're supporting him in the way that he wants. Because Donald Trump puts out these shots, and regardless of how funny the nickname or the instance of, of the post he puts out on social media is, at the tip of that spear, it, it's what his expectation is. Are they all the time reasonable? Obviously they're not. Um, you know. But at the same time, did you think that coming out of that election and how many votes he was able to receive – that America First would still be as strong and supportive of Donald Trump uh, heading into this election cycle? Or did you honestly think going in that there was going to be a little bit more of a fight at the ground level? Well, uh, there's a few ways to answer that question. The first one is if you if you go back to after the midterm elections last year, that was really the moment where it probably most looked like Trump was most vulnerable and DeSantis was most rising. I mean, there were there were he obviously was very far from a formal candidate at that point, but there were many polls taking them in the aftermath of the November 22 midterms, really into December. I, I recall that in kind of a multi-candidate field, obviously no one was announced yet except for Trump. So these are all kind of hypotheticals at that point. But so they were basically neck and neck. Some even had DeSantis ahead. I mean, I, I remember one poll from like last December-ish. I don't remember the exact date from here in Florida where I live in a hypothetical Trump DeSantis mano a mano he heads up that had DeSantis up 20. So, you know, the polling at that time, after DeSantis had the 19.4% re-election in Florida, the all-Republican cabinet in Florida for the first time since Reconstruction, so many in kind of the commentary class were blaming President Trump for various elections like the Georgia Senate race and so forth that didn't go the way, Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania. And so at that time, Trump did look a little more vulnerable. The problem, of course, and it's not too late to turn this around, but one problem that I, I think many of us can easily identify in retrospect is, you know, what I just said did not happen. There was no kind of exploratory committee. There was no counter messaging in general. Trump basically denied DeSantis the opportunity to do things on his own timeline. And I think, you know, DeSantis wanted to do things on his own timeline. He wanted to kind of just wait until he was he formally announced until the session was over in Florida in May to do and say all this stuff. But Trump expedited that for him. And I think a lot of people were, were caught off guard by that. The other thing that I think it's important to underscore here is that Trump running for a second non-consecutive term is obviously a unique phenomenon in American history and not literally unique. I mean, Grover Cleveland did it in the late 1800s, but no one has done it since then. So right. no one in our lifetimes and anyone who's alive lifetimes has tried to do what Donald Trump is doing now. And that raises the obvious question as to whether it actually can be done in the first place, because there's just simply no precedent for for anyone trying to challenge him right now. Yeah. And, and, I mean, when you look at it uh, just in a historical context, especially with the way the lawfare is being played against Donald Trump. And at the end of the day, that's pretty much what it is. I mean, there's been just in the instance since the Mar-a-Lago raid uh, in August ago, you've seen Mike Pence, you've seen Joe Biden, uh, both come into question in regards of classified materials in their, you know, uh, at their homes and residences and places of business. You obviously have longstanding cases like what happened with Bill Clinton after he left the White House. You want to go back a little further. I mean, the, the federal government bought back uh, Richard Nixon's documents for millions of dollars after he had left the White House and that had gone to court. And then when you talk about stuff that, you know, goes on with like the Georgia electors, the January 6th stuff, to, to what I'm seeing right now, there isn't anything that Donald Trump did 
uh, unless new information comes out in the fallout from the 2020 presidential election and leading up to January 6th, that no other person uh, who's a House representative or a congressman hasn't done in past. I mean, we've all seen those videos over the course of the years of, you know, you could go on YouTube and it's like 10 minutes of Democrats denying elections and, and saying this candidate's illegitimate and that he shouldn't be certified and that the electors should be sent back and we should pick who the president is because we don't like them. So, you know, it, it's one of those things where that kind of comes into context. And I really think the American people at the end of the day, uh, when you talk about all the stuff you did with, you know, a non-consecutive term president running for re-election, it's only happened once. We're in a digital age now where we could kind of romanticize about it and make it look cooler and sexier. Combined with the lawfare that's led to Donald Trump's success, it doesn't take away from any of the good works that, you know, some of the other candidates have done throughout the course of their careers or in their states, whatever positions they've hold, whether it be somebody like Ambassador Haley or, or uh, obviously Governor DeSantis. But the fact of the matter is, it just doesn't sound like this cycle was the time where that was going to resonate if Donald Trump played his cards right. And to this point, for the most part, it seems like he has. Yeah, look, I, I, I agree with with a lot of that. It was always going to be a, a very tall order. You know, on the other hand, when you had other candidates announce, you know, Vivek Ramaswamy, you had Tim, you had Nikki Haley. I mean, a lot of people announced between Trump and DeSantis. It's not like DeSantis was, was kind of the second to announce. And, you know, for, for that for that reason alone, I, I saw no good reason for him to wait. I mean, it, it was always going to be an uphill battle. And I, again, it, you know, it, it bears worth for, it's worth repeating. It is still very early. I mean, like a lot could change. I mean, who knows? What could happen if Trump uh, gets one or two more indictments from Jack Smith, the special counsel, or what happens in Georgia? Um, you know, based on precedent, it seems like there will probably be somewhat of a rally around the flag effect, and it might only kind of bolster his support, or it might not. It's very hard to predict the future, obviously. So it, it is very, very early. You know, the, the DeSantis super PAC never back down, has a ton of cash on hand. They have a ton of door knockers in the early states. Uh, Kim Reynolds, even though she has not officially endorsed, it seems like she is very partial to Ron DeSantis. So who knows what that starts to look like as we get closer and closer to Iowa and perhaps a more formal setting. So I, I definitely think that Ron DeSantis had to run this cycle. I don't think there was any doubt about that. But it was always going to be a challenge. It was always it was always going to going to be a, a, a genuine challenge. It, it's a very difficult needle to thread to try to run as kind of the logical inheritor, the, the Gen X successor to the uh, the to the baby boomer who kind of set got this all started that was that was always going to be a challenge and maybe it's possible maybe he pulls it off or, or maybe he doesn't it's uh it, it's unclear but i do think that he had to run i don't think he had a choice but to run well i guess the only thing we could all agree on here today 100 percent, is that the uh news that continues to unfold provides top tier commentary for us to break down here on our respective shows oh yeah no doubt about that no i mean look the news cycle these days is Obviously crazy. Um, lots of stuff going on internationally as well, not just here on the domestic front. I personally am waiting for this freaking war in Ukraine to be wound down at this <laughs> point. I, I, I cannot believe for the life of me that the United States has really not changed its approach to that conflict at all all in the almost year and a half now at this point it seems like if you you know if ukraine asked for tactical nukes we would basically give it to them and yep. i'm being like I'm, I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek but i there's a there's a, there's a, there's a kernel there's a kernel of truth in there at this point so there's yeah there's a lot going on and i'm always happy to discuss with you guys we got a kernel of truth on our show at least once a month his name's douglas mcgregor yeah! it seems like every time he comes on whatever he says on our show shows up in the news within the next 10 days as was the case just over a week ago josh this was great sitting down with you today obviously we're going to live link all your great works the podcast in the show description today for anyone that's not following you on social media where can they check you out yeah thanks as always guys so i'm on twitter at josh underscore hammer my 
podcast is on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And then my syndicated column goes up at Newsweek or any number of other right of center publications as well. Absolutely phenomenal, as is the work you do, my friend. This is the senior editor at large at Newsweek, syndicated columnist and host of the Josh Hammer Show. Mr. Josh Hammer, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thanks, guys. Another heater in the books. Heater! To match the scorching temperatures we're experiencing here down in Southern California. What do you think, Noah? It's disgusting and balmy. Are you talking about our show or the weather? Both. <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and want to hear the now nearly 260 other editions of the show, you can find us across every downloadable podcasting platform. We're on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Podbean, you name it, we're on it. Subscribe to the show and rate it. Leave a review. Always helps us out. Also across social media is Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast podcast accounts. Follow them and hit that notification bell. We want to thank all of our guests for coming down and joining us today. Former senior official in the Trump administration, William Wolf, who joined us for the first time. Awesome sitting down with him. I speculate we'll have him back on very soon. Reoccurring guests, S-tier, Mr. Cash Patel. Can't say enough about him and the work that he does to help out the America First community as well. And Newsweek, senior editor-at-large, Josh Hammer. When we get to sit down and talk with him, it brings a lot of... Uh, good people to the table talking about the things that we all want to do here on the show, which is making America great again. Guys, don't worry. We'll be back on Friday. Episode 260 is going to be absolutely amazing. I know Brendan Dilley and Congressman Wesley Hunt, at the very least, are going to be here. We'll see what other surprises we can sneak in as well. On behalf of the whole pod team, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week, and take care. Okay, uh, that, that was great, except that... Uh, that you know. was great. Mm -hmm. Keep rolling, because I'm going to wing one now, right off the cuff, Robin Williams style. <laughs> and action. Cheese Louise, I'm hungry. Hey, wait, I'm a slice of cheeseburger pizza from Dominio's like the game. <laughs> Eat me. Do-do-do-do-do, <laughs> Dominio's. <laughs> The Apprentice. What? Cut, cut. <laughs> Just cut. Keep it rolling. I'm on a roll. Great. And action. And knock, knock. Who's there? Cheeseburger pizza who? Domenico's. That's who's there. Well, come on into my belly. Okay. That sounds delicious. It sure does. And freeze. <laughs> Mr. Trump? Mr. Mr. Trump? And unfreeze. I think we got it. This commercial's gonna win a slew of Emmys. Yeah, okay, we don't quite have it yet. Let's just get this last bit where you say, holy cow, I'm hungry for a cheesy crust pizza. And action. Jesus crust, I'm hungry. <laughs> great, great, I think we're good now. Happy? I think we're good. I really cranked this one out in record time. And as I predicted, it turned out pretty top-notch. Yeah. Now, I'm off to a promo shoot. But first, I'm going to get one of those spray-on tans. Okay. And Derek Jeter's going to be there. Right.